The following episode of Days of Thunder is brought to you as part of the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network. Go to ProWrestlingOnly.com to enjoy other fine podcasts, as well as match reviews, book reviews, video game reviews, and of course our forums. Let's start the show. Tony, there's a lot of times that I don't particularly enjoy what I have to do, my job, and there are days that I love it, and this is one of those days where I love my job. And I do have an important announcement to make. And I know it's a busy weekend. It's a holiday weekend. A lot of you have already made plans to be at the Georgia Dome this coming Monday night, July 6th. By last count, there were some like 35,000 tickets sold. There are some still available. But if you're not in the proximity of Atlanta, Georgia, I would suggest that you get on the phone, call your neighbors, call your friends. And if there was ever a Nitro that you didn't miss... I would suggest that you don't miss this coming Monday night because it is now official. Hollywood Hulk Hogan, the WCW champion, is contractually obligated to be in the Georgia Dome this coming Monday night for Nitro to defend the WCW heavyweight title belt (laughs) against what I feel is the number one contender... Goldberg! Oh, yes! Oh, yes! Nitro, the WCW Monday Nitro podcast that some people actually asked for, <laughs> and we had a lot of free time, so we did anyway. Uh, I'm your host for proceedings, uh, your your tour of the nightlife here, Dave Ryan, and I'm joined by my faithful co-host, a man who doesn't appear on commentary on this show for once, Stagger Lee Malone. So seeing as it's no longer days, it's nights now, can we get even a little bit more blue if that's possible? Well, I've got like neon lights across the, the, the recording studio here and there's like a velvet rope across the door turning people away. You know, I'm trying to I'm trying to lean into the nightlife gimmick wherever possible. Wearing a silk shirt. Um, oh, obviously. Like and you know, chest hair with medallions. Oh yeah. All that kind of shit. Um Lee, how are you this week? I'm not, I'm not too bad. It's been it's been a strange week, but sure, we won't go into that. But yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm in good form. How about yourself? Yeah, good to hear. Yeah, no, same as myself. I wasn't expecting to be back talking to you this soon, but it is always a pleasure, my friend. Um, I think we kind of... because we're not going to see each other, we're probably going to talk a lot more. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. We don't. We meet up at wrestling shows. We don't tend to talk that much during them because <laughs> we're actually paying attention to what's going on in the ring. Novel concept, I know. Mm. Um, so, like, most of our talking is actually done on these phone calls, which is weird. Um, but, yeah, we're going to be doing a lot of these, I imagine, over the next while before we see each other again uh, once more. But um, 
No, uh, we kind of, yeah, we hadn't expected to come back, but something the two of us had been talking about was that, you know, while we have a bit of time, it, it might be, it might behoove us to do a few bonus episodes. It's mm. something people had asked for before and were obviously asking for again quite recently. And, you know, I kind of said to you, Lee, I was like, the, literally the next show WCW put on, apart from Saturday night, is like the historically significant Georgia Dome. Yeah. Fourth uh, of July weekend spectacular, um, and I said to myself, like, if ever we're going to do a nitro, there's a couple in my head that I think are historically significant for good and bad reasons. Bruce's a wrench. Uh, Yes, Ru- oh, dude, I still have my VHS of Russo's Revenge War Games 2000, so um, when it comes uh, Yeah, to I was just going to say, I'm putting out, we are definitely covering Russo's Revenge. There's no if, buts, or maybes. We're definitely covering that show. 1,000%. And, um, and we will have Mark on first. Tr- if, my, if my VHS player and my VHS tape still work, I'm going to watch the version that I recorded off TNT that night and I will also be providing commercial reviews but that's about six years of podcasting away at this point <laughs> which is harrowing to think of you know what we might even be able to watch that one together yeah I know <laughs> who knows who knows um, but yeah we, we thought that like turning to Knights of Nitro uh, as a kind of nice special edition might be a good idea we have a couple of ideas we have a couple of pick your poisons in the pipeline and and things like that that'll be coming up at some point in mm. the future but obviously because we have guests for those it's kind of we, we have to rely on other people's schedules so this was something that we could get out and watch and, and get done uh, fairly quickly and, and appease the Thunder Buddies um, by doing um, it does feel weird it like it feels like I've walked into another man's house talking about Nitro um, but Lee you weren't a big WCW guy um, during this period a lot of the thunders are fresh to you but where were you with nitros and if you weren't watching at the time when was the first time you, you interacted with this particular nitro as being a historical event see nitros it was a bit easier to kind of dip in and out of because nitro and raw were on at the same time on Friday nights as we said before and Obviously, it was just a matter of changing the channel in between. You know, if there was a fucking draws match on or something, you'd flick over. And um, so I kind of dipped in and out of WCW or uh, Nitro a lot. Whereas Thunders, yeah, I didn't really get to catch it as much. But yeah. um, this particular Nitro, apart from it being the significant Goldberg match, I have no memory of it. Hmm. And I can't recall when the first time is I would have watched it. Obviously, when Network came out, I would have went back and watched Goldberg Hogan and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, no, I, I don't ever recall sitting down to watch it, apart from, obviously, now for this podcast. Yeah, so I I wasn't watching at this stage. I think Goldberg's streak ha- may have already been broken by the time I was watching religiously. Um, But I, I do remember, like, this particular event and clips from this event being shown uh, as a kind of like revered like almost this era of WCW's version of Hogan slamming Andre do you know what I mean mm. that it was just this repeated clip that you saw um, of, of of Goldberg in the main event here his final moment of triumph because obviously you know even though things did not go uh, 100% to plan more on that in the coming months um 
Goldberg was the last big star they built and he was still a major part of the company right up towards the end. So this this footage and this moment was was still being talked about a lot three years later when the company was uh, about to die. And I remember... so. Do you remember when they took the week off before the reboot Nitro with uh, the Bischoff and Russo era, the New Blood reset show? I rem- I remember the reset all right, and I remember they did take a week off. I can't. I think I did watch bits of that show all right, and I think it was like a best of, wasn't it? Yeah, so it was. It was like the the commentary team, and I can't remember exactly who sitting in a studio talking about key moments from Nitro. And I feel like this was on that show. It I, it would be weird if it wasn't, to be honest. Mm. Um. But yeah, that's that's kind of my memory of it. Um, so it is a historical thing, and and kind of breaking with Days of Thunder tradition, we we have done a, a bit of research here. Um, I have with me, and we will we will refer back to this stuff at various points in the evening, because much like uh, much like Nitro itself, which was referring to various key moments in Goldberg's career, I, I think it would be remiss of us not to include people's takes at the time mm. and in reflection of, of what they thought of it. So uh, I believe you you have one um, thing that you were looking up today, were you? I was watching the uh, Broken Skull Sessions. Yes. With uh, Goldberg and Steve Austin, obviously. And yeah, I learned a little bit, a few little things listen to Goldberg talk about that particular night as well um, yeah. something that I suppose we can mention straight up is that Goldberg said he was at home watching Thunder and that's when he found out that he was facing Hogan yeah um, and I'll be going with and this is something that uh, it kind of this this has ripples back in the stuff I was reading so I have the the Wrestling Observer newsletter uh, mm-hmm. Dave Meltzer's takes on this whole affair Um and I also have open next to me uh, my copy of Death of WCW, the revised edition. So there are there is some stuff on that. Um, we'll get into why this show. I think we'll we'll kind of kick off Nitro uh, by talking about why this event came to be. But um, before we do that, Lee, before we just launch straight into our inaugural Nights of Nitro, I want to know uh, what companion you've got there. What have you got in the holster to drink with you this evening? So we're recording a little bit earlier than normally. So I've only gone for the one drink tonight. I've just gone for just a straight up Southern Comfort. Bit of ice, a little bit of lemon. Just very simple. Mm. Uh, Lemon is a theme for this evening's beverages, my friend. Uh, (laughs) I've gone with something a little bit fancy. You know I do like my sours. Oh, you do. Uh, And I have gone with one I've never tried before. And this is from the White Hag Irish Brewing Company. What a name. Shop local, my friends. <laughs> uh, and this this beer is called the Puka. And it's uh, meaning the ghost in Irish for, for anyone who is uh, not one of our, uh, our, our, our Irish kin. Uh, it's a dry hopped lemon sour with berry, hibiscus and ginger. Um, that sounds very fancy just for an alcoholic beverage. Yeah, and I tell you what, it's in a lovely can. You know, I'm a, I'm an absolute git for a good can design. You do, you do love a fancy can, and this is a real kind of funky, uh, like pink and gold uh, kind of thing going on here. I quite like it. Um, get go with the bouquet there, there. Mm. Woo! Oh man, they were not kidding when they said sour. Oh really? Oh yeah. Oh, not like full inhale your face sour, but it's it's got a oh, it'll wake you up. <laughs> um, 
you actually the, the dangerous thing about it it's 3.5 but you actually can't taste any alcohol off it oh, at all oh no that, that's not good yeah thank god I only have one of these uh, <laughs> <laughs> right anyway so this is Knights of Nitro uh, July 6th 1998 coming to you from the Georgia Dome in Atlanta GA Hotlanta um, and yeah it's just it's it's really weird to be doing this to see a different set of opening titles and things like that it just it's it's a bizarre feeling for us here at Days of Thunder but the cold open uh, is JJ announcing uh, from Thunder last week as we talked about in Th- Thunder episode 23 mm-hmm. it's JJ Dillon talking uh, announcing the the Goldberg uh, Hogan main event and you're saying that Goldberg was saying he was just sat at home on the couch when he found out about this yeah he he says he was at home watching Thunder and he found out at the same time as pretty much everybody else so do you know did they get to why in that interview that this uh, this match happened no they didn't right so this match according to Dave and others uh, this match was slated to happen at a point down the line now I thought you know looking back on it in hindsight and not quite remembering like obviously we both said we've both read Death of WCW Mm -hmm. but it had been a while for me anyway Um, so I couldn't quite remember like why they were giving away like I know they love popping a rating but like it seems like money left on the table to give away this match and as Dave pointed out was it Dave pointed out no it was um, so Alvarez and Reynolds point out in Death of WCW they say that like Hogan had been involved, uh, the, t- the the title change, the main event that happens on this Nitro, uh, this is from Death of WCW, also a last minute decision, effectively put the kibosh on several storylines that Hogan had been involved in that could have led to lucrative matches with both Bret Hart and Kevin Nash. Um, so yeah, like it really felt like it was coming out of almost nowhere mm-hmm. that, um, you know, we knew... Goldberg was making a path towards NWO members, but you would have thought he'd spend a few months working through them uh, and then he'd get to Hogan eventually. And that was the the original plan. Um, That's not what ended up happening because Raw absolutely thumped them in the ratings the previous week. That's a very Eric Bischoff decision to make, isn't it? Yes, and, and that is why this match is happening now on four days build. And I think maybe not the stupidest thing about it, but one of the stupid things about this match happening on this show is the fact that um, it was happening on the go-home week for a pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like the importance, I, much as in the kind of mainstream media, they're pushing this tag match with uh, Rodzilla and Carl Malone, uh, a lot more of that on this show we'll be talking about. Um, I, I feel like within the wrestling community, within the fan community, the importance of Bash at the Beach has now been dwarfed completely by this moment here, this moment in time happening six days before a pay-per-view or five days before a pay-per-view. Oh, yeah, the, the, the pay-per-view just is totally... It's totally dwarfed by this, isn't it? Like, like this is the biggest thing they could possibly ever have built it. And they just give it away, and everything else just seems unimportant compared to it. Um, yeah, like I know you were saying there, like the the obvious plans was Bret Hart and Kevin Nash, and I mean we have to take it into account. Goldberg has only just won the US title. Yeah, I mean he I'll, hasn't had any 
yeah, like kind of lengthy matches or feuds over it yet. When we'll get to it in later in the show, but when he faces Hall, that's like that's the first time he's really faced one of the top level guys in WCW. Yeah. And I think Heenan was even saying during that match that like that Hall match, which didn't last very long at all, was his longest televised match. Like you know, that's how like he's a hundred and seven and oh, you know, they point out repeatedly at the main event at the crowning moment that he's only ten months into his professional wrestling mm-hmm. career. Um the other thing that was hanging over their heads here was not just getting as uh, as Meltzer says, drubbed in the ratings. Um the other thing that was hanging over their heads is them trying to learn a lesson from what they did to Sting. Mm-hmm. But they they go totally the opposite direction and don't wait long enough with this one. Like I, I think yeah, the obvious it, like, thing is to either wait until Goldberg gets to either 150 or either 200 if you really want to play the long game and you make either the 150th win his title win or the 200th win his title win. Because... Yeah, so the combination... I was just going to say because like throwing it out for a rating because they got drubbed the week before is totally short-sighted. Like, the amount... Like, people would have paid good money to see Hogan Goldberg on pay-per-view. Oh, 100%. 100%. Dave calculates... Um, was it... No, sorry. Uh, Death WCW calculates, like, at best, they're probably making back about 12% of what they would have made on pay-per-view. Like, that's... Um, that's such a waste. Such a yeah. waste. Um, there's a bit that Dave says here where he goes but as impressive as the category that it puts the show in this being the size of gate and the attendance mm. of they, they actually under report the attendance on the show oh, um, which Alvarez points out mm-hmm. is like maybe the only time in wrestling history uh, it's been undersold how many people are in the building I think they say 39,000 yeah. but it was actually 41 and a half thousand yeah. roughly it's such a WCW uh, thing to do like like just say there's 45,000 people there nobody is going to count nobody's going to say oh uh, well it was really like oh, okay Meltzer is going to say oh well it was really only 42 but nobody on TV yeah. gives a fuck nobody watching at home yeah. cares yeah there's so it was the it was it was the fourth largest drawing live wrestling event in the history of North American pro wrestling at that point or in the in US <laughs> pro wrestling the only shows that drew more people paid, this is from Dave, were WrestleMania 3 from the Pontiac Silverdome, yeah. which had 78,000 fans, 76,000 paid. Uh, WrestleMania 8 on April 5th, 92 from the Hoosier mm-hmm. Dome, uh, which was Hogan, Sid Justice, which uh, 62, 167 and 47,000 paid. And the Royal Rumble from the Alamo Dome with Sid versus Sean. Um, and that, so that was papered f- to folk like... Yeah, this was yeah. It was like so. It was twelve about twelve thousand uh, free tickets yeah. were handed out to that one, out of the sixty thousand uh, five hundred and twenty-five in attendance. Um, <laughs> Dave notes that it might be fifth because there's an unverified figure of forty-five thousand for a July thirtieth, nineteen thirty-five match with Strangler Lewis <laughs> versus Dan O'Mahony in Fenway Park, which is the most Dave Meltzer observation of all time. Um, that's the first he, the first Irish draw in wrestling history Dan O'Mahony yeah indeed he goes on to say but as impressive as the category that puts the show in it pales with the figure Starcade the previous year did 7 million dollars on pay-per-view with a good long build-up there is no reason this match wouldn't have done the same yeah. or more as Goldberg should be much more of a drawing mm-hmm. her than Sting 
and that was given away in desperation to win the ratings for one week. After doing a match at Starcade and Nitro, where they put Hogan and Sting back on pay-per-view, it did about four million. So business when it comes to this is like a movie opening. In other words, what was done was the WCW equivalent of putting the movie Titanic on free television and then opening it nationwide in theaters the next week, thus giving away the monster first weekend of business. Um, so yeah, essentially the primary driving motive, even though we talked about the the Sting stuff. Uh, was to try and pop a rating and they did beat Raw in the ratings that week they won 4.93 to 4.0 and Bischoff was obviously going to be delighted Um, the the quarter hour for the world title match set a cable wrestling record drawing a 6.91 rating with with 5 million and 54,000 homes tuning in Um, so like some good numbers but again Lee in terms of the long term finances and build and booking you know what good is that after you've popped that number yeah like what what good is that 5 million homes watching when you could have had what say what's a 1.0 boy is 1.0 a million on pay per view um, it's something, it's like something that close to that isn't it and like yeah. if they could have had like a million people pay $35, $40, whatever it was for a WCW pay-per-view. Like, yeah. compare that, like, uh, it's just, like, I, I, I'm I, not a businessman, but mm. it's just mind-boggling they, that you apparently. would give, well, obviously not, but, like, for the sake of a ratings battle, like, everyone said, like, people said at the time, it's not hindsight, it's just, like, imagine giving away the first ever Austin Rock match after Rock turned heel. On yeah. TV. Like... Yeah, it's... It just makes no sense. It, it It's pure short-sightedness to just win the night. When, really, they should have been looking long-term and say, right, we've got the belt back on Hogan. We've got the matches with Hart. We've got the matches with Nash. They can, you know, they could easily have built Sting back up, Luger, Hall. They had any number of options. Like, we've, we've talked about how ready DDP and Booker are at this stage. Yeah. And then they just throw away Goldberg. Goldberg, they're like one of their only homemade stars. And they just throw it out on TV to pop a rating. It, like, is it any wonder the company went under less than three years later? Yeah, it's, um, look, it's, it's a momentous thing. And you can see the short term. I wouldn't have been, you know, <clears throat> they got drubbed in the ratings one week but like I wouldn't have said in mid 1998 that WCW were so far behind that it was insurmountable mm. this is the move you make when you you don't think there's a way of recovering you know that you can't work your way back I think you book this storyline over two and three months and you're going to start to see the ratings tick up and then pop that monster boy rate. But as you said, Lee, we are not businessmen by any stretch no. of the imagination. But look, we'll put a pin in that for the moment and come back to it throughout the night. Just on that for a second, um, I'd, I'd love yeah. to know what Raw ran the week before that drove them so badly. Uh, I will try and find out as we're talking here. But, uh, Lee, (laughs) the Georgia Dome for this show, absolutely packed. Tony, in a line that absolutely popped me, uh, says it's the biggest night in the history of our sport. (laughs) Of course it is. Uh, Of course it is. 
Um, and something we have not uh, been accustomed to on our Lowly Thunder programming kicks off the show, and that's the Nitro oh, yeah. Girls. For <laughs> so for people unaware, as I try to look up this this information on Raw for you, for people unaware of of what a Nitro Girl is and what they did, uh, please enlighten the audience. You put me in the spot here. <laughs> the Nitro Girls were a dance troupe that were led by a non-dancer. Uh, sorry, a non-professionally trained dancer, I should say. That would mm-hmm. basically, on ad breaks or coming back from breaks, they would just be in the ring dancing with pyro. and They were, they were basically like just like a hype act for the live crowd more than anything else. And I think, like, what, we see them, like, four or five times on this show. And I, th- yeah. I, th- I think WCW leaned into them way too much, as we would see as we would see later on when they become part of storylines and stuff like that. I will say this. It's something I, ob- I observed uh, throughout the show, is that, like, if there's anybody earning their money on this show, it's the Nitro Girls. Because, like, they, they put in a shift here. Like, like you said, there was, like, they were out four or five times, mm. four or five costume changes. Like, they were working harder than most WCW employees do. Yeah, that's, that's true. I think there was like I think there was like twelve of them or something as well. Yeah, um, I definitely for sure spotted Charmel at some at one point. Um, mm. Oddly enough, I didn't pick out Kimberly Page at any point, but I'm sure she was there. I think I saw was it Whisper was um, uh, Shawn Michaels' future wife. I I can never remember what what her name was. I know it's Rebecca. Yeah, um, I, I think I spotted her, but again, like they kind of the camera cuts are so quick during mm. these segments as well. It's kind of nauseating. It feels like a shield match. I, I, um, I tell you what, there, there's a point in the show when we get to it. I'll find it something out. But yeah, um, yeah. I mean, look, the Nitro Girls—they were part of. They're very of their time, shall we say? Mm. And when, yeah, hundred percent. If this kind of shit was happening now, um, do you know, it would be really weird. Actually, that. Now that I think about it, something very similar did happen on a national stadium show we were at last year. Oh yeah, it did. And it was very <laughs> uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, it was really weird. It felt really out of place. Um, so, the Raw that absolutely destroyed Nitro on June 29th, 1998, had uh, Mr. McMahon crowning Kane with the WWE Championship, but Stone Cold winning it back in the main event. Oh, that was the, the Raw after King of the Ring. Yes. Ah, I see uh, that. I can see why that did a monster rating. Well, that's not just Wiley, because do you know what else happened that night? Uh, coming off King of the Ring, I'm gonna guess something. Incredibly be- historic event. That's my hint. Hmm, incredibly historic event. Oh yes. Go, go on. What was it? It was the start. Brawl for all of the brawl. For oh all. my god. <laughs> the worst tournament in wrestling history. Bradshaw versus Mark Canterbury. Is that what it's listed as? Yeah. It's not even Midian, it's Mark Canterbury. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, that's awful. Yeah, although, to be fair, there was a Triple H versus Owen Hart versus Ken Shamrock match on the Oof. show as well, so that was pretty alright. That's a nice Triple threat, and that was coming uh, Shamrock coming off getting DQ'd in the King of the Ring final. Yeah. Oh, actually, that wasn't even the opening match in the... Uh, my apologies. It seems like the opening match may have been Mark Miro versus Steve Blackman. Oof, that, 
that's a shoe fight. That's the one. That f- that's what a fucking brawl for all should have been. Yeah, yeah, I'd watch that. I might watch that <laughs> after this. <laughs> um, so one of the changes we have for about half the show is we have a new face on commentary, uh, and that is the living legend, a man I've missed so much <sighs> since the first couple of months of Thunder, Larry Zabisco. Do you remember how over he was on the opening couple of episodes? Oh my god, he was so good, and he's still so good. Like just, I like I was out of my chair at like his first line. I wrote down word for word his first bit on commentary. Like this is a man who is not scared of being hyperbolic about the wrestling. His the first thing he says, he goes, "Since the dawn of time, and carbon-based life forms have pulled themselves out of that primitive puddle of slime, mankind has become the dominant creature on planet Earth." Goldberg has proved we have reached the epitome of evolution and tonight he gets his chance at the ultimate the heavyweight championship of the world and then he goes I'll be right back and walks out <laughs> to get cheered by the crowd <laughs> yeah well, Jesus what an intro that is um, incredible and uh, I loved so much Tony and Tanae are eyeballing each other beside him trying not to crack <laughs> during this because like obviously he hadn't briefed them at all that he was going to say this uh, Zabisco doesn't show up until it's airtime he, he's not in meetings oh, backstage God. yeah the two of them are trying their best not to crack and the other uh, thing that uh, Tanae and Tony put over is just to remember that going into tonight Goldberg is at 106 mm-hmm. and 0 uh, and we, we're going to need to keep track of his, his matches tonight uh, because he doesn't just have the one, as we will find out. I tell you what, the show yeah. opens with a fucking glorious shot of the dome. Like, the camera the oh camera pans around as you hear Shivani introduce the show and, like, your pyro's going off and stuff. But, like, the, the, it just looks like such a big-time night. It looks so cool. I'm so sad that building isn't there anymore. And, it's like, not. um no, it got imploded because uh, they built the Mercedes Benz arena. Ah, you know, that okay, right, was right. that's okay. No, it wouldn't be in WrestleMania yeah. Thirty. That's um, New Orleans. Oh no! So the you're thinking of the Philip, Phillips Arena, is it? That might. Yeah, they built a new one anyway. Because when I was looking up photos for that like melodramatic video I made to tease the episode. Um, I was finding pictures of the new stadium, which I think might be called the Mercedes-Benz Stadium as well. Um, but yeah, they like they they demolished the Georgia or they imploded the the Georgia Dome, which I all I could think of was the Simpsons implosion. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when I was reading about it, but anyway, um, that's a shame. Yeah, first out we had Hogan, Eric, Liz and the Disciple and thank God, I I thought Liz was a missing person. She'd been gone for that long off Thunder. Um, But here she is anyway and they're coming out and as they come out uh, we have Larry with a great line. Talk about about an ego that took over a household name. Um, They're doing the the NWO shtick that they do sometimes of kind of like in amongst all the booze acting like they're delighted to be here and the fans Mm -hmm. are delighted to have them here. Uh, here with the NWOites. Uh, I, I, do you know what? I, lo- I love that line so much, the NWOites. Yeah. I don't know, something that, it, you know, maybe maybe it was because when I was young, I was a Hogan fan, and just to see him be such a dickhead, and yeah. fully, like, he fully buys into these people are his NWO fans, like. Yeah, and this is something we're talking about as well, like, Hogan tonight plays the part perfectly. Oh, yeah. And originally when this match was pitched to Hogan, it was non-title, 
and Goldberg was still going to win and he had no objections. According to everybody, he had no objections mm. to putting over Goldberg in those circumstances. When Raw destroyed them and they wanted to make this the World Heavyweight title match, um, he said, no problem putting them over, but he insisted on the one stipulation that he be the one to break the streak. Because um, of course he did. Yes, because it's Hogan and you're not going to get away with asking him two favours without a bit of politicking in there. Um, um, isn't it Hogan, is it Hogan's first book he says he's the one that brought the idea to Bischoff to do the match? I, I'm pretty sure, I haven't read Hulk Hogan's book, but I'm pretty sure every idea that involved Hulk Hogan, he took credit for throughout his career. So that would not uh, see, surprise I, ca- me. I can't remember. I can't remember if it's Bischoff's book or Hogan's book. But I know it's like basically, you know, Bischoff is stewing over, you know, the rating they got the week before. And he's sitting having a couple of cans with Hogan and a couple of cigars. A <laughs> couple of fucking tins with the lads. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, apparently Hogan says, you know what I'd do next week, brother? Me and Goldberg in the dome for the title. <laughs> oh, yeah. He definitely put forward losing. Uh, oh, yeah. On the biggest show of the year. Like. Yeah, unconditionally. But, uh, yeah, so that was the the rumor anyway, was that the, the kind of the, the carrot that was dangled in front of him was you do this and we'll let you break the streak. And all was agreed to. That's again, we'll talk in a couple of months of how that panned out. But, um, yeah, I think like as a whole night. I think this is maybe Hogan's best overall performance as a character uh, the entire run of this podcast we've been doing. Oh yeah, uh, for sure this is like the the best Hogan we've seen so far like um I'm just just as you were talking I was just thinking I was like is this the beginning and the end of the peak of Hulk Hogan? Yeah, I I think I I honestly think it is because you've the rapid ascent of like the wolf pack um, mm. And I think the Wolfpack within the NWO were a much more edgy stable. And I think, um, obviously, with growing influence inside in the locker room, Kevin Nash becomes a, a bigger deal and a bigger uh, politicking machine at mm-hmm. a certain point. Um, and yeah, we'll kind of. I, I think this may have been um, the. I think th- th- this is the peak of the Hogan we're going to say. I think, like, I'm trying to think, like, he, I know he has that, like, weird nostalgia run in 99. Yeah. And then he obviously has the nostalgia run in WWE. Yeah. But I don't think we ever see Hogan at these heights. at the top. Yeah. At these heights ever again, yeah. Yeah. Even if he had, like even with he he holds more titles uh before he before all is said and done in his career after this point, like as you said, even the undisputed title in WWE for a month when they were hot shotting that fucking thing around. Um mm. but yeah, I, I don't think he's ever at this level again. Uh, and I know a feud he gets put into in the relatively uh, near future is part of that just complete, like, trying to cash in on the Hogan nostalgia and mm-hmm. an absolute wet fart. But I don't want to uh, don't want to get ahead of ourselves on that. But, um, yeah, so they're saying they're glad to be here. And then Hogan says, on to business at hand. And business at hand isn't Goldberg. It's uh, Rodzilla. So he says he just got off the Hollywood cell phone with Rodzilla. <laughs> And Sunday at Bash of the Beach is going to be DDP's last match and Malone will never play basketball again. Uh, and in maybe one of my favourite Hogan lines uh, he's ever delivered uh, on our run, he says uh, he's addressing this next part to the one or two Goldberg fans with megaphones. 
So he's being absolutely deafened by Goldberg chants during this portion of the promo, and then it's just a completely like stone faced acting like he thinks it's one or two people with megaphones. Oh, yeah. It's brilliant. Um and I love what he says, like he basically says Goldberg has beat nothing but jabronis. Yeah, who'd he ever beat? <laughs> Which is just a, a stunning put down of the entire roster so and far. Not entirely inaccurate either. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, as we said, he hasn't come up against, what, Raven's the biggest star he's beaten? Yeah. Um, so it's not entirely wrong. But, I mean, he is the US champ, and, you know, historically the US champ is always the number one ranked contender for the world title. So, you know, he has that argument. But, um, yeah, he basically says he's beat nothing but jabronis, and there's a special NWO brother who hasn't been seen for a while coming back to take out Goldberg before he can ever get to Hogan. Now, did you know who this was straight away? No. Yeah, because there's obviously there's there's two possibilities here of people you haven't seen mm-hmm. in a while. Um, the one people. I thought it was uh, just showed up out at the uh, at the limo, which I thought was a bit strange. But yeah, um, yeah, I thought it was Henning. I thought that's who it was going to be. You what? I thought it was going to be Henning. Yeah, oh, actually, sorry, three possibilities because I think. Uh, I think some people might have thought it was Bagwell either because there hadn't been an update on oh, Bagwell yeah, yeah, yeah. in a long time. We would see all three of the possibilities uh, would show up at various points mm-hmm. on this show, being Hennig, um, Buff, and uh, the man who it was uh, turning out to be, and that's Scott Hall. Um, so, yeah. What, what what did you think of the promo in itself as a way to build he for the the main event so i thought it was good because i i think you want to get people right so yeah i I have a couple of thoughts on this so you want to build heat for the main event and i think this did that um and i think it was one of hogan's better promos and i think Mm -hmm. the visual of him just completely ignoring the deafening booze and the deafening goldberg chance was really good heel heat one thing I will say that I didn't necessarily like, now it all panned out for the best, but if I was booking a pro wrestling show, I wouldn't have the guy you want the main event pop for come out and have a match at the top of the second hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's my one problem with the whole setup. Yeah. Like, I get the idea of... Right, do you know where it would work better? If Hogan Goldberg was on pay-per-view, and the Monday before he says... I've got a special NWO guy coming back for the main event. He's going to take out Goldberg. There's not going to be a match at the pay-per-view, blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it, That's if, where that works best. Yeah, if we knew going into the Georgia Dome that he had, like, a qualifying match, mm. that would make sense. Um, it's funny because... But you're, you're killing that pop for the main event. Yeah. Because there's only one first time he can appear on the show. Now, I will say, they ended up popping absolutely massive for him anyway. Mm. You know, so like they rolled the dice and it panned out, but it's not something they would ever learn from. Because I remember when they did an episode we've referred to um, quite recently, the Russo's Revenge War Games episode. If you remember, all the baby faces had to do qualifying matches that night, yeah. uh, unannounced, mm-hmm. um, killing again the pop for a lot of them. Uh, so it's something that they would not learn from. But, uh, you know, you take that out of it and isolate it as a promo I think Hogan did a great job here yeah they're, they're really like putting up the obstacle for Goldberg to get through like it does put it in in doubt so that when he does win it does get that big pop and you know right he's coming back he's coming back to face Hogan nobody can stop him blah 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 yeah. um, 
yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a good scene setter for the whole episode, really. Mm. Uh, something they do a couple of times on this night next where they talk to fans outside the building who basically cook promos on Hulk Hogan. Um, again, contrasting thoughts on this. One, I think it, it was a good idea to have fans essentially cut promos on Hogan as a proxy for Goldberg because you don't want Goldberg on the mm. microphone. Um, so having somebody run Hogan down instead of him is a good idea. Um, however, the absolute level of dork that they found to do these <laughs> one or two segments, I did not care for. No, I did. I didn't enjoy these fan promos at all. Um, like fans screaming out, "This isn't MSG. This is nineteen eighty five And uh, just like, yeah, you don't need to put that on your TV. I I think they maybe should have cast the net a bit wider and done a few more fans until they found one that was half decent. Um. Because I get the dual purpose of essentially being the proxy for uh, Goldberg's promo and showing how beloved Goldberg is mm. by doing this. But I, I think the target was missed just by getting absolute nerds to deliver these lines. Anyone, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, um, do you know what they could have done? They could have had WCW wrestlers do it. Yeah, they could have done that thing. Yeah, they do it sometimes before like big UFC fights. or I know they've done it for... Um, I'm trying to think, like, certain WrestleMania matches and stuff like this where, like, they'll just interview members. And I know OTT do it a lot before big main mm. events where they, like, interview the OTT roster about what they think about, you know, Jordan Devlin and Walter or whatever. Yeah. Like, it, could, it would have been so simple to have, like, Booker T, Chris Benoit, um, I'm trying to think who else, Mongo, anyone, like, just yeah. Bulldog. People just talk about, right, this is Goldberg's big night. They're going to be watching in the back. Yeah. And they want WCW to conquer the NWO. I mean, it seems like an obvious answer, but do you know who should have done this? Keenan? Yes. Yeah. You want to talk about a guy who, like, give him 45 seconds and the ability to talk about, like, his history with Hogan um, and his love of Goldberg? I, I mm-hmm. think he could have, like, he could have talked people into staying tuned. Uh, would would, a bit, would it have been too much to have Heenan, like, do two or three segments of that, you know, coming back from a break or whatever? And then Heenan just comes out to accommodate the main event. I think maybe you could, yeah, you could have done a thing where, like, it's two or three segments, but Heenan is the last one. It's, like, wrestler, wrestler, mm-hmm. Heenan. And then Heenan appears to, you know, uh, commentate in the main event. I, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, the, the the idea, I think they, they had their hearts in the right place with the idea for this, but just the execution wasn't great. Um, then we have a Hogan promo for his shirt, which is twenty three uh, is a twenty two ninety five plus three fifty postage and packing. Decent, <laughs> whatever it was, it was too much. Yeah, it's a horrendous and, shirt. And the promo, oh my god, I couldn't watch it. Like I do not have epilepsy, but my god, the fucking blinking and the flashing was giving me a fucking headache. But you know what the weirdest part was soft spoken Hogan. I didn't like it at all. <laughs> coming off trash talking Hogan in the opening segment like yeah yeah all you needed was him to like remove the glasses and have come to bed eyes and I was proper going to be freaked out by it uh, kind of like kind of like that uh, Japanese ad the um... oh were you singing yeah Sunday Monday Tuesday <laughs> yeah all the days of the week you can wear your Hulk Hogan t-shirt bizarre uh, next up we have a competition winner Mean Gene talks to Brian Murphy in his horrendous shirt uh, he won a car on the show last year they're giving away another car this year honestly Lee I used this little segment to go run and refill my drink so I don't think anything of consequence happened while I was out with the fridge they were talking about they were talking about you know speeding away from cops and all that good legal stuff so <laughs> good stuff 
I I got to the bit where Gene was saying to him, "Is like, oh, do you use the card?" He's like, "Yeah, every day." Yep. Yep. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, our our opening contest on the show uh, was Booker T versus Dean Malenko, and I was kind of hoping that this would be would get like it's a three hour fucking nitro. I thought this might get a C- bit of time. Hang on, hang on. Can we can we talk about that as well? Yeah. I no. am so glad we do not cover Nitro all the time. Yeah. Like, in, in some respects, it's the better show. All the stars are on it. But in in terms of, like, time that I can never get back, I'm very glad that we don't do all these three-hour Nitros. And it's bizarre that 22 years later, the flagship show in all of wrestling is still three hours long. Uh, I just... Nothing. Nothing should be three hours long on a weekly basis. And you know what? Again, it's something that was talked about a lot in the news lately. Like, there's 300 wrestlers under contract in WWE, mm-hmm. and they cannot make three hours of interesting television. No, it's impossible. Yeah, you cannot make a weekly show interesting for three hours every week. I mean, towards the end, they were struggling to make Raw interesting at two hours sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know what another hour was ever going to do. But anyway. Um, Booker versus Dean Malenko for the TV title Booker on top early goes for the uh, they start kind of almost like Wrestlemania 25 main event they start going for the finishes quite early here and I was like oh Jesus like they're not getting paid by the hour um, he goes for the missile dropkick off the top Malenko avoids goes for the cloverleaf he nearly gets rolled up in the process uh, Booker catches Malenko off the top rope in his spine buster which I thought was cool until Tony yeah, called a really sidewalk slam yeah. <laughs> I've I've just taken writing it down a sidewalk slam now. That that's a it's a sidewalk slam. Ah, uh, t- Tony had a poor night here for calling moves. I will say the spinebuster sidewalk slam is a very consistent tick he has. It's very mm-hmm. weird. Um, Jericho comes out and he said he's sick of Dean running away from him. That he's to come out and face him, which I thought was great <laughs> because Dean was already there in the ring. Yeah, yeah, and he calls him Dino Machino again. Yeah, as he gets into the ring, Booker hits an axe kick on the distracted Malenko to win, and Jericho does his best Nelson Muntz ha-ha down the mic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing of note on this match is we get a little tease for Thunder. Yeah. Which is um, Saturn and Canyon taking on Raven and Horace. Yeah, I look forward to Which is to def- def- definitely a match worth watching, I'm sure. Yeah, plus Horace. Um <laughs> Uh, then we had Goldberg doing uh, those kind of elevated push-ups on a bunch of steel chairs. And then we have, uh, I think, honestly, one of the stars of the show, promo-wise. And that was the mailman, Carl Malone. Um, Not so much in this segment. Like, this segment, but this this little darkened room segment was, was alright, I guess. We'll talk about his, what I thought was a bit of a star turn from him later on. But, um, do you know, it, it's funny, Lee, because... You know, um, a lot of major sports stars, and I think, you know, within the context of their sport, maybe they're considered a fountain of charisma. But then when you translate over to the inherently more showy business of professional wrestling, it doesn't always translate. Like, think of Dennis Rodman, even, for example. Mm -hmm. Like, not exactly lighting the world on fire on the stick, is he? No, he really doesn't. But, Carl... Um, Go on, yeah? I was just going to say that I... I didn't like Carmelo on the show. Oh, I thought um, now maybe I'm grading on a curve here. Yeah, now like like this segment just really, I won't say it annoyed me, but it was just like it was so bad. Like I thought this fourth segment was really bad. Like, yeah, I, really look, bad. That maybe it just soured me on the rest of them. Yeah, 
I like I, I said, I thought this was just like possible. Like he's just sitting dark in the room and talking about Rodman. Uh, the sole fun part of this was him calling Rodman Dennis, um, which I enjoyed. Like deliberately making a point of calling him Dennis, like he's not cool. Um, but, like like Colin Skinner Seymour. Yeah, but I thought like there's a long history of pro sports stars in pro wrestling, and I think Carl Malone, and it possibly comes from the point that he seems to actually be a fan and follow mm. wrestling and understand, you know, his role. That I think he does a better job than a lot of people do. Um, now, I I will say I don't hate him in the role he's in. Yeah. I just don't think his interviews were really that good. Yeah. Like when I when I saw you praising them, I was a bit like, "Oh, okay." Um, yeah. Well, that's not where I'm coming from. Specifically, a segment later, but we'll talk about that. Um, yeah, but anyway, we'll save it for there. We'll save it for then. Yeah. So next up is Canyon versus Raven, and at this point, I'm kind of just like, "Oh, we're just blowing off everything on free TV, are we?" Because um, I'm like, it was supposed to be you know, Raven gets done with Saturn and then heads on and finishes off Canyon. Mm. Um, But now they're just doing this. Um, But, you know, I was very quickly, I very quickly realized what was going on here, that they weren't actually getting a proper payoff. Um, And and Lee, I'll throw to you for this match, but the thing that bothered me more than it should have by far is the fact there was two completely different fonts on Canyon's tights and I could not stop looking at it. You're not not a fan of the uh, mixing clip art? No, it was like the canyon was all jagged down the legs mm-hmm. and then the flatliner print on, on his arse was just like, it was like an advertisement for a medical device. Yep. Did not like it. But uh, what did you think of this match or lack thereof? Well, first of all, I have to mention Raven's awful, god-awful. God, I hate it and I want this WCW music back, the WWF music. It's gonna it's gonna annoy me every time Raven comes out now. Like I, I thought the sound balance on this one was particularly bad. Like it felt yeah. like it was blaring out of my TV. Mm-hmm. And I tell you what, a hidden gem in this uh, in this match is Lodi. His a couple of his signs are uh, quite noteworthy. He has Raven rule Raven's rules with the Z, yeah. which is very very up the time. Yeah, uh, and then one sign that. Got a bigger pop from me than it probably should have. But, you know, I'm a child at heart. Is, uh, where is Viagra Falls? <laughs> yeah. And sometimes, yeah. Look, sometimes these signs miss and sometimes they really hit. Yeah, and I think, I think it just depends on the mood you're in. And I was just like, yep, yeah, that's got me. Um, yeah, the match itself was fucking... Again, it's... It's probably every Nitro match. It's just a whole lot of nothing until somebody interferes, basically. Yeah. And obviously, you know, like you say, they're not going to give away a clean finish on a feud that they haven't even, like, gotten near to finishing. So, yeah, just Saturn runs in and gets involved. And he lays, he kind of lays out both, doesn't he? He lays out them, he lays out Raven first, then Canyon comes behind him. And he hits him with the DVD, I think. Yeah, doesn't he? so, yeah, Saturn comes out, he attacks Raven, hits mm. a massive belly-to-belly on Lodi, uh, then hits Canyon with the Dead Valley Driver, hits, like, a capture suplex on Raven, that he gets a table, lays out Raven, does an enormous splash, and in a moment that can only remind you of Botchamania, the table does not break at mm-hmm. all. Um, 
then he gets in and blink and you'll miss it but Canyon then lays out Saturn and this this segment just fucking ends so like this well, see, I, I was writing down notes as Canyon laid out Saturn so I wasn't entirely sure what actually happened yeah it happened so quickly I didn't even really see it and the the, the segment was such a schmoz that I was just like oh look I'm just gonna have to keep going here mm. um but uh, it was weird. A Ravens rules match that ended that ended in a non finish. Um, next up, we have a large limousine appears, and who comes out of it? It's Julie oh, Bagwell. Julie Bagwell and her son. <laughs> and her son, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> the um, true star has arrived. Indeed. And I tell you what, if if we didn't cover this nitro, we would never get to experience Julie Bagwell. The debut of Judy Bagwell. I'm so happy. It shouldn't. I. It should never be the case that I could instantly, instantly recognize Buff Bagwell's mother. None of this should have happened, but it <laughs> fucking did anyway. You know, she should have been one and done. She was here with her son for a segment, and he baby faces himself, and that was it. But anyway, uh, there'll be more Judy Bagwell, as people may or may not be aware of, coming up in future. Um. Buff is in a wheelchair with a neck brace. There's actual Atlanta PD with him. And what I love about this is they're surrounding him like he's Goldberg coming to the ring. There's Mm -hmm. all the little fans are cheering him, telling him he's Buff and he's the stuff. And then, like, if you look right in the background, there's Doug Dillinger pretending to look useful. Oh, Doug Dillinger. How that man had a job. Absolutely stolen him. What a sham. A sham of a security guard. Ah. But, um, so, yeah, <laughs> next we have, um, one of my, oh, so we have, right, another fan saying Goldberg is going to win, mm-hmm. another dork, but then we have the Nitro Girls being back for 20 seconds, which leads into something I need extended footage of, and that is a video Nitro package party. of Nitro parties, and this has been referenced on Thunder before, but isn't it like Lee Marshall goes to like college campuses? It's better. It's better because it's Mean Gene. Right. I think they don't they alternate. They, like I know it said Mean Gene on this package. Yeah. But I imagine like it's a couple of them that go at different times. Because I know it hasn't uh, hasn't Lee Marshall phoned in from parties at different times on Nitro and stuff like this. He may well have. Um, I know whenever it's been mentioned on stuff we've covered, it's been they've mentioned Mean, mean Gene. Gene. And that's mean the one Gene I really want to see. Guild, yeah. Because I, I suspect, like, Lee Marshall is low-key cool at a party. But, like, there's no way is Gene not pervy uncle at a party. Mean Gene is full-on full on JR in 2020. Oh, yeah, he's full-on cowboy hat emoji. That is oh, yeah, absolute sure. But, so the, the, the gimmick with the Nitro parties is that you send in footage of your Nitro party... And once a month, somebody will be sent a Nitro party pack. And once every three months, they'll send Mean Gene and the Nitro Girls to your Nitro party. (laughs) And it's funny because I would have thought, knowing what an absolute maniac Bischoff was about the ratings, that he would be trying a promotion to get everybody to individually watch one. Mm -hmm. Make sure everybody's on a different TV in a different house. Yeah, when you think about it, it doesn't make sense to like promote these big gatherings of people to watch a show. Yeah, it seems a little strange, if I'm honest. Um, I I tell you what, though, I'm I'm also rereading the Nitro book, yeah, which you definitely should read. As as I said to yourself and Alan on Twitter, um, yeah. 
thanks for that bit of peer pressure in there on the podcast friend oh yeah oh yeah you have to read it like it, i'm making it my my job to make sure you read this book are you, are you getting paid by big nitro <laughs> i wish brother i wish <laughs> um but yeah i'm rereading at the moment and um one of the tbs executives actually talks about how he would do talks at college campuses like once every semester or whatever and he would like say to the students like right put your hand up if you've watched wrestling in the last seven days and it's like people because they think you know they're not going to be judged in a big crowd it'd be like everyone would be putting their hand up and being honest about it whereas if you said to like people in you know in kind of social gatherings like oh you watched wrestling and like nope nope but when when people are given that like chance to be like oh yeah i watched it and you know somebody else is leading the conversation that like on college campuses watching nitro and raw was this big huge community event so the fact that like nitro or wcw are like advertising these big parties it it's kind of clever like it is something clever that they did that raw never really tapped into no yeah no that's that's for damn sure um we next up we had a flashback to the 18 wheeler from nitro the previous week with carl malone and ddp involved and i loved this i loved this flashback so much because so you have all the guys all the nwo black and white stand around picking their weapons like crowbars and chains and stuff like it's fucking west side story right and they're getting themselves all g'd up and hogan's in the ring cutting a promo about how like they wouldn't dare to show up and the 18 wheeler shows up and the guys are in the parking lot to meet them and firstly they're showing like aerial helicopter footage of Mm -hmm. the 18 wheeler like it's the fucking oj chase uh coming into the arena it comes in and it's pulling in like i could crawl quicker than this 18 wheeler was pulling in and immediately as the 18 wheeler turns to go and park all the nwo run away scatter yep (laughs) they they scatter they scatter and did you see giant he goes hiding behind the car giant giant is so spooked by this terribly slow moving 18 wheeler he throw he throws his chain in the air runs away and hide behind the car yeah um and i wouldn't mind but like the 18 wheeler isn't you know it doesn't stop like you know right beside where they were oh no it stops about 20 feet short of where they actually were standing (laughs) they were in no danger whatsoever and the absolute cowards just ran away um into the ring and uh you have the attack uh ddp and malone sneaking up behind hogan they clash the chairs together uh to pop the crowd and to let hogan Mm -hmm. know they're there um they attack him and i I liked the I liked the slam that uh, that Malone delivered on Hogan, but the clotheslines need some work, brother. You oh gotta, yeah, you got to lay that shit in. They those clotheslines did not look good. It was very much like putting his hand out and like just running towards Hogan. There was no fucking no force behind him. Yeah, it was. He did it with an entirely straight arm, and obviously it was more blatant because like Carl Malone has very very long arms, being a basketball player. He had very long arms, so it was more obvious that he was straight arming it, and that like it was uh, kind of like it was at about nipple height <laughs> rather than at like collarbone neck height, uh, where you where you'd want to really make it look good. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I like the slam, but unfortunately they didn't stop there. I the thing I loved about the slam was that Carl Malone popped himself with the slam, <laughs> so he hit the oh, slam yeah, he, and then like he, yeah. fell back into, into the corner. Buckle. Yeah. That was cool. I have to say that was good. Like I say, I don't dishate Malone in this role. Yeah. 
as much as I just hate him talking about everything he's going to do to Rodman. Yeah. Um. So Mean Gene is here now with DDP and Malone. DDP says this will be the worst week of Hollywood scum Hogan's life. He uh, he says he doesn't care who he puts Goldberg in front of in his hometown. Goldberg is going through him. And I, look, Lee, I, you've been shitting over it all night, but I love this little bit from Carl Malone. This little bit of sass he was giving him. Um, and it was proper, like, maybe it was, maybe we're just starved for good promos on this. I don't know. But uh, he says, I'm going to whip you like Madonna should have whipped you, which got a like a Jerry Springer type pop from the crowd. But I love the, I'm going to knock the paint out of your hair, boy. Uh, which is very reminiscent of something from Scott Pilgrim where he knocked the highlights out of her hair. Um, and then DDP asks if he's a killer and he says, no, he's a Rodzilla killer, which got a good pop from the crowd as well. I thought he did a pretty decent job for a guy who isn't a professional wrestler. The Rodzilla killer was a good line, but yeah, I don't know. Like I say, maybe I'm just, maybe just the first segment really put me off everything about. Yeah. And maybe, I think I'm, I think I'm just burnt out on DDP Malone versus Hogan Rodman. Yeah, look, I still have no interest in the match whatsoever. Um, but, and especially, this promo, I think, is pretty decent compared to what happens next, which is a replay of that horrendous Mongo Mike Ditka segment from Thunder last week, which was just, God, like, they're just begging anybody to think Mongo is interesting, and it's just not happening. Um, yeah, no, M- Mongo could get, get in the fucking bin at this stage. Yeah. Next up, we had Scotty Riggs versus Scott Putsky, uh, Ivan Putsky's son. Um, and in a match that could never happen in WWE because they both have the name Scott. Yeah, they both have the name <laughs> Scott, so it would be Putsky versus Riggs. Um, I tell you what, Scott Putsky looked like he looks like he just walked off the set of Shakespeare in Love, doesn't he? Yeah, actually, he'd probably be called like Putskotsky or something like that. In Scottsky, you know, in a very Daniel Bryan way. Um, and Roddy Skiggs or something like that. Uh, he he walked off the set of where? Sorry, Shakespeare in Love. Oh yeah, it was very. Oh yeah, the, the he has the fluffy like the, the fluffy short, the nicely feathered hair, or like some yeah. sort of uh, vampire melodrama. Um, or something oh yeah, like he, he that. could definitely have been in the interview with a vampire. That was like well, that was kind of earlier nineties than this, but yeah, um, yeah, no, he definitely could have been in like a vampire story. So um, the the. The hardest worker in this match was Larry Zabisco. Uh, he spent the whole match putting over Scott Putsky really big. Um, he says that, like, um, he, being Larry, is Polish too, and he knows that wrestling is in your blood, talking about Scott getting it from his father and being of Polish extraction. He said, wrestling is in the blood. That and bowling. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know, is bowling a big pastime in Poland? I guess so. I guess so. Um, I thought, you know, like, for... Like a, a debut, what I think is the de- his debut by the sounds of it on, on Nitro. Um, it's he's not the worst I've ever seen. Um, he he's he's a good looking guy. I'll give him that. Well, like I can see I can see why they'd give him a push. Yeah, that well, that's the thing. Like he absolutely looked the part for nineteen ninety eight and what they look for. Like the guy is jacked to the gills. Mm. Um, but the only like I, I'm pretty sure Scott Putsky was in. The WWF Cruiserweight Tournament, or uh, sorry, Light Heavyweight Tournament mm. in 1997, and I, I can't get, I can't get past that fact <laughs> that this guy, who's a good solid, what 220 pounds, like a good solid heavy guy, is yeah. somehow considered a light heavyweight. 
Yeah. Maybe he cut to like 204. Who <laughs> <laughs> was that? Wasn't that Fabian Eichner in uh, the Cruiserweight no, Classic? No, was, the, was the, the Chilean guy. Oh, um, oh, what was his name? Size, was that him? Size, yeah. Who, he cut like, like 40 pounds to get into the tournament. He looked like one of those guys who, do you know, like after a weight cut before a UFC fight, he genuinely looks like they might collapse. They're ill, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Emaciated is how he looked. Um, glad glad that he's doing okay. Um, <laughs> I'm sure it was worth it for him at the time to get into the prestigious CWC. Yeah. Um, hey, look, you know, he's obviously incredibly green. And if it's a guy making a debut in in WCW, I'm not looking to put him in there with Scotty Riggs. God bless Scotty Riggs. <laughs> Uh, yeah, fr- he he he's not a super worker. I I love the character for some reason. Show. Yeah, friend of the show, obviously. Um, I I do love the Riggs character. I love the, the the little fucking eye patch and him being like a lost soul. Yeah, but yeah, he he's not a super worker. Yeah, I I I don't know who off the top of my mind I'd put him in here with, but just not him necessarily. Um, I'm sure you could have put him in with like a Bobby Eaton or something like that. Yeah, because he's he's very green. He has a good look. Uh, he hits a Polish hammer in the closing stretch. So for anybody who is kind of like uh, recognizes who he was, a little bit of a pop for that. Uh, he hits a sit-out spine buster that he that he calls the Putski bomb uh, for the win. I, I christened that the medium high because it's definitely not a sky high. Yeah, that's what I was like, oh, this dude doing like a fucking low effort D'Lo Brown type finish here. Dis- mm-hmm. disrespect on that man's name he is the real deal <laughs> I love Dilo <laughs> uh, yeah. oh man oh look if we could do a special edition on the career the life and times of Dilo Brown I would be down for it man I, I, like I said I've said before on the show one of my underrated tag teams is Dilo and AJ Styles and TNA yeah the first the first ever Euro Continental Champion oh, yeah don't People forget forget that fact yeah he, he did it long before Court Angle he surely did um so yeah, next up we have Goldberg headbutting lockers and screaming, which like in the world of the invisible camera is very funny. The idea that he warms up for a match by headbutting metal doors and screaming by himself. Um, and then something they do regularly throughout the night is, uh, which I think is really good and something that Dave po- points out in the Observer as well. Like it, it's undisputed, this entire show is built around Goldberg, and that's absolutely. If you've made the decision to do what they do in the main event. Mm this is 100% what you should be doing. So they start off with his first win by showing him his, his first win in WCW against Hugh mm-hmm. Morris um, and they will come back to, to regular kind of interstitials. I, I, I think they do the intervals, don't they do like 50, 100, or 50, 75? Yeah. They, yeah, yeah, they go in intervals of 25 and then they show a replay from earlier on in the same program as well. Um, another large limousine appears and Hangman Adam, I mean, sorry, Scott Hall gets out finishing his drink ready for Goldberg. <laughs> there, there's a question for you. Who's the better worker, Scott Hall or Adam Page? Oh. <laughs> Do you know, until relatively recently, I would have said Scott Hall by a mile. Because mm. I, I love me some Razor. I love me some Scott yeah. Hall. But holy shit, the rate at which Adam Page is improving. I don't want to answer that question because I feel like the longer this episode is up on air, if I say Scott Hall, the stupider I'm going to look as time passes. It's really starting to look like Hangman could be like 
an era defining fucking great worker, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, and I ne- I never would have thought that until no, Jesus, like when when he showed up in New Japan, I would never have marked him as gone, somebody who's going to be like a, a guy in the yeah. business. Um, um, but any, anyway, yeah, Scott Hall is back. Scott Hall is back, and unfortunately, we're going to have to mention it now. This is the start of one of the worst, and like think about the ground that covers one of the worst and grimmest angles that WCW would persist with for a while. Is this the start of Drunk Scott Hall, yeah? This is his this is the first time he's shown up since since he vanished. Mm. Um and I think this is the start of it. It it like cuz he gets out, he's finishing a drink, he's stumbling a little bit and they're all talking about you know having a party and stuff like that. So I think even if they're not going fully into it yet, I I think this is this See, is the I- beginning of it. I know it's coming, and I and I know what to expect at some stage. Just I'm just I'm not quite sure when it begins. So I was a bit like when he does get out holding a drink. I'm like, oh, maybe maybe this is it. And yeah, yeah. I'm I'm hoping the vast majority of it happens on Nitro. And we don't have to talk about it that much because it is <laughs> it's especially the more time goes on, um, and the more people think about these things and alcoholism and stuff like that, and the more you learn about like Scott Hall's real life at this yeah. time and for many years thereafter, it's just. Ugh. Still doesn't excuse Cody Hall. <laughs> this is very, very true, my friend. Um, Jericho is here, our Lord and Savior himself. Hello, he says, <laughs> <laughs> which I was just absolutely rolling yeah. at that. Um, he says neither Ultimo nor Dean are the number one contender. Ray is the number one contender. Jojo Dillon is out. Lays down the law for tonight and Sunday. Uh, Malenko runs out and JJ reminds them that there is a no contact clause before he attacks him and before I get into what Jericho said um, like I thought Jericho's performance here was magnificent Mm -hmm. as the absolute dickhead basically going hit me hit me oh yeah hit me Um, it reminded me very much of you know when um, when Austin was like the sheriff of Raw or whatever he mm-hmm. was with Bischoff and his whole thing was he could he had to be physically Bischoff provoked. had to be physically provoking yeah uh, so he was just egging people on to hit him and all the yeah. heels were just like just cowering from him um, so yeah I, I love Jericho's performance here but god damn I'm just like even when he was attacking Jericho I'm like Dean Show some emotion in your yeah. face. Do, do something, yeah. It's like, it's a hot segment. Yeah. But it's all because of Jericho that it's a hot segment. Yeah. Malenko is just there. Jericho is so animated and trying to antagonize him. And every time it cuts back to the close-up of Dean Malenko's face, it reminds me of like the uh, the rock bottom segment on The Simpsons where it's uh, your <laughs> Godfrey Jones interviewing the still image of Homer. <laughs> <laughs> I just felt like it was going to go back and Jericho was like, Mr. Malenko, no! <laughs> Do you know what? To bring, to bring it back to uh, to wrestling, remember uh, Edge would um, interview the Kurt Angle picture on SmackDown? Yeah. Yeah. It, it it very much felt like that, yeah. It's like, like bring, bring something. Do something that brings a bit of fire. Like you say, show a bit of emotion. Instead, he's just... It's so disappointing. Like I say it every time, but it's so disappointing after that hot comeback yeah. that this is what we get from Malenko. 
I've been watching some, uh, you mentioned Edge there, I've been watching some Invasion era stuff lately, and I've started from, like, around King of the Ring, where, like, DDP and Booker start showing up. Mm -hmm. And, like, man, I miss what a dork Edge used to be. Oh, yeah. (laughs) There's a line he has, there's a great, in, is it MSG? They have a Raw in MSG, and Mm. Billy Gunn, the one Billy Gunn is doing a thing where he's... That's when uh, Mike Awesome shows up. Yes, yes. Uh, where the battle lines have been drawn, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so there's a promo about how like uh, Billy Gunn is annoyed because he won King of the Ring literally two years previously, and uh, he wasn't even in the tournament. He was at WWF New York uh, during the pay per view, right? And like, just he was like, Edge just by being a dork absolutely slates him. Starts talking about how 1999 was so two years ago, <laughs> and he's just like. Hey Billy, if two years from now at King of the Ring, I'm not either winning the t- winning the tournament or defending uh, a championship, just shoot me in the head and starts <laughs> laughing. And then he says to Commissioner Regal, he's like, "I promise not to Billy Gun this King of the Ring." <laughs> oh, that, that's great stuff! Unbelievable promo. Anyway, back to back to this shite. <laughs> um, actually, no, actually, not shite, actually, why well, do you say that? I know we, we we bury thunder a lot. Yeah. But I have to say, this nitro it's it's just as bad. Like it really is just as bad. I think the quality of matches on this show absolutely horrendous. Oh, it's awful. Like um, I, and like that's not to say it's a bad show. I am not like I enjoyed parts of the show. Yeah. And I find it very hard to say whether it was good or bad. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's it's the height of this kind of Attitude Era, Crash TV. We need to be doing something or changing mm. segment every three to five minutes. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. But it's just like, nothing kind of sticks with you. It feels like nothing gets time and they still nearly run out of time every week. Um, yeah, there's like, there's 11 matches on the show. Yeah, I've counted it as, in three hours, 37 segments. Jesus Christ. Uh, and I, I think that number is a little soft, to be honest. Um, but Jericho in this promo, I want to get back to it. He talks about like, oh, so there's a no contact clause. So that means if I say your mother wears army boots, you can't do anything. If I say that you're nothing but a jobber, you can't touch me. And then he goes, your father must be real proud of you and stuff like that. It's a pity he's not alive to... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> really shake had, your hand yeah yeah and didn't get it I didn't get anything out of him for that and then basically accuses his two parents of sleeping around like talking about how hard it must have been for his father out on the road all the time not being able to see his family and then how hard it must have been for his mother at home <clears throat> and then the line that gets him and I nearly came up out of my chair at this was do you ever, do you ever wonder why you and your brother look nothing alike <laughs> and that does it Dean lost it and beat the shit out of him. Oh yeah, no one disrespects Joe. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> I I loved that. Um he he attacked him and then we get into the next segment and it's uh, Ultimo Dragon versus uh Jericho. Uh, I know it was somebody in a Raw's war shirt on the ramp during Dragon's entrance. Um honestly, this is like the the lengthy, satisfying Jericho Ultimo Dragon match is my uh, white whale in WCW Lee mm. because this I feel like is the third time we've nearly had this match 
and something happens and we just don't have this match. Yeah. It's something they keep... Yeah, they keep coming back to it, but they never actually do it. And it's really frustrating because, like, the few snippets of this match we get here and there are excellent. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, like I said, we we saw it on the uh, Jericho Pick Your Poison. These two have awesome chemistry. And they have had, like, great matches in the past. Yeah. They they start doing some shit, but, like, pretty much as soon as this match starts, Malenko is back out, beating the shit out of Jericho again. Tears a lump of Jericho's hair out. Mm-hmm. Um, and Malenko is arrested and hauled off during the break. Um, the Nitro Girls then out again, much to Lee's delight, but I will say... <laughs> <laughs> I love what you say, much to my delight. Yeah, yeah. I'm pinning all this on you. This is your gimmick now. If I'm unprofessional, you're sleaze. Listen, um, just just because I say in my notes that we should watch more Nitro just for the Nitro girls, that yeah. that doesn't mean it's all on me. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm reading between the lines there, am I? Um, so, yeah, the Nitro girls are... And at this point, I realise we've had three Nitro girl segments. Not only have they probably been featured more prominently than any wrestler, but they're verging on the point of actually having put in more time work than any mm-hmm. wrestler on this programme. Well, see, here's the thing. They're also more over than a lot of wrestlers on the program. They are, aren't they? Because there's a couple of matches coming up here that the crowd uh, on a three-hour Nitro in this big building are completely burnt out. Before oh, I, che- I, I checked out on the middle part- portion of the show. Like, oh, I, yeah, well, uh, I couldn't blame you. Yeah, no, this, this, is not a good, this is not a good couple of matches, Rowan, that we have coming up here. No, speaking of which, Johnny Swinger is here. And he has something to say. Do you know who I am? And the crowd replied, no. No. Absolutely buried. <laughs> to be fair, would you have known who he was if he didn't come up saying Johnny Swinger? <laughs> Probably not. Um, it's astounding to me that Johnny Swinger is in TNA, or sorry, Impact, in the year 2020. Yeah, yeah. I would have thought after the crowd said no, they didn't know him, that he would have just quietly retired. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. He's not the worst part of this match. Not even. Not even. Uh, he says that he is the hottest commodity in the sport right now. Okay. And tonight we're going to find out why. So we have Johnny Swinger versus the character I'm now dubbing Mad Chavo. Um, but I feel like that's disrespect to Mad Kurt. Um Chavo comes out and has a hard hat and scissors after uh, Eddie cut a lump of his hair out last week. Uh, Tony confirms the incorrect attendance of 39,919 here, uh, whereas in fact the the actual attendance was something in the region of 41,000, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, 41,412 was the actual, the actual amount of fans. Um, they subtracted 1,500 fans from that number somehow amazing uh, as Brian Alvarez as I said before says in uh, Death WCW yes WCW became the first promotion in wrestling history to claim a less impressive number than it actually drew it gets even worse than that when they first announced Hogan versus Goldberg locally they had only sold about 2,000 extra tickets realistically the company was still hot enough at this point that very few if any of the wrestlers could actually be considered ticket sellers instead the name wcw itself sold tickets usually on the very first day before a card was ever announced the mainstream wasn't aware of this however so hogan decided to manipulate it uh, so that it would appear that he did indeed sell tickets pretty much on his own therefore he suggested the idea of doing the match live on tv and switching the title 
After all, if the match was televised, it would look like he drew the house, whereas if it wasn't, someone else would get the credit for the new company record, and that would be completely unacceptable. I'll tell you what, he's not wrong, is he? No, yeah, the smart look, do you know what? Big mad racist, horrible person, get in the sea, but what a politician. Oh, I meant Alvarez, but yeah, Hogan, Hogan is right as well. Um, oh, yeah. Like, he, I'll tell you what, he's called the Hulkster for a reason. He, Look, he yeah, knows yeah. he knows where, where to get involved and where to kind of step back and yeah Jesus there, there's never been anyone like him in the business yeah um, I, I, I'm going to come back to remind me to come back to another segment that Alvarez has here because they have a lesson not learned about the amount of money lost here but I'll come to that in the main event um, so we have yeah he comes out with the hard hat and scissors um, Swinger keeps asking do you know who I am every time he hits a move this is dull uh, the match is a whole lot of nothing and then Chavo hits a tornado DDT while the uh, the announcers seem to not understand that this is the finish until it's the finish um, Chavo says Swinger has split ends and he has a scissors baby so he cuts out two tiny chunks of hair and Chavo challenges Eddie to a hair versus hair match at the bash uh, and then, thankfully, we get a much better clip. Goldberg beating Glacier for 25-0. and 0. Um, This match was dog shit, Lee. Everything involving Chavo is dog shit. Yeah. He's the worst. Like, in, in a company that has a lot of wrestlers I do not care for, mm-hmm. he is by far, every time he comes out, I'm like, oh, oh for fuck's sake. Yeah, like, Why like, am I doing this stupid podcast? Johnny Swinger came out and I was like, oh, it's Johnny Swinger. Then he was facing Chavo and I went, ah, oh, fuck. Like, it, yeah. it, like, jobbers should not be getting a fucking, a better reaction from me than fucking Chavo, who's one of the mainstays of the fucking storylines at the moment. Mm-hmm. For um, sure. Like, yeah, I just want Chavo to go away. Yeah. Oh, it is. It's proper go away heat. It, it, like, I, I don't want to see him get beaten. I want to see him go away. Um. Next up, speaking of go away, we have Disco Inferno. And Alex Wright with Tokyo Magnum versus the Public Enemy, and let me tell you one thing, Lee. I get on, I get on this, the the case of this Dancing Fools act, but can I just tell you that the surprise edition of Tokyo Magnum here made this ten times better. I mean, this is one of the best trios in the history of wrestling. <laughs> I mean, these guys should still be together. I, oh. I, I, I don't even know what to say to you, friend. I mean, it, it, it's glorious. I mean, you got Disco coming out to his music, Alex Wright and Magnum Tokyo coming out to Alex's music. They get in the ring, they dance. I mean, do you know what? Here's a dream match. This, this is a dream match, and I wish it, it, it should have happened. It could have happened because they were all in the same company. You could have had Disco Alex and Magnum Tokyo against Tree Count. Lee, what was it you said you were drinking tonight? <laughs> I mean, how, what's wrong with that? that? And how many of them did you say you had? <laughs> that would have been. I mean, Joe, I would have put it over the top. Tank, Ab- Tank Abba, a special referee. Your nonsense. Um, this is the match where I noticed the, the crowd burning out, by the way. No coincidence. Um, this match had fucking no heat whatsoever, did it? No, it didn't. 
I blame the public enemy, to be honest. <laughs> That's very convenient, that narrative there. I mean, do you enjoy the public enemy? No, but I don't enjoy anybody involved in this. <laughs> but it's no coincidence that every time a show dies, it's the public enemy. I mean, it can't be. It cannot be blamed on Disco and Alex. At this point, I'm starting to wonder: Is like Glenn Gilberti like slipping you coin? I mean, I'm not opposed to it if he wants. <laughs> You'll be co-opted by anybody. Oh, I'll, I'll take a co-option off anyone. <laughs> um. I will say, right, so the match had no heat at all, but did you find that Alex Wright was incredibly sloppy in this match? Yes. <laughs> See, his his first two spots, he goes to hit, like, a spin kick, and it looks awkward as fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he goes to hit a slam, and, like, I don't know whether he nearly falls over or nearly drops somebody, or, like, it just... God, he looked awful here. To be fair, none of the guys in this match look good. No, they didn't. Um, and the commentators weren't doing a much better job as uh, <laughs> Johnny Grunge hit uh, a double bulldog on the Dancing Fools and Tony called it a low bridge. And this was so way off the mark that Mike Tanay just felt the need to correct him. <laughs> yeah, he, co- he couldn't let it pass without saying, no, no, that was a double bulldog. <laughs> you got to think that the sidewalk slam thing is killing Tanay inside every time he hears it. I'm sure it is because today is like a moves nerd as well. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but see he doesn't have that seniority that Tony does. It's true, yeah, you can't call him out too much. He gets one. Um <laughs> you get one per show, that's it, yeah. yeah. Everybody gets one. Uh Alex Wright gets put on a table, but the uh disco replaces him with Magnum. Uh, a public enemy, instead of, oh yeah, let's continue the match and attack the guys who are in the match, they say, yeah, okay. So they stack uh, Ma- uh, Tokyo Magnum on top of two tables and hit the tri-fi through the stack. Um, well, see, Dave, there's a reason for that. They're morons. Yeah. Oh, look, I am not saying that there are any men's members involved here. I, another thing I was going to go was, like, I know, so Rocco Rock dies about four years after this, and I was like, God, like, he looks so much older than everybody else in this match. I didn't realise how old he was. Like, he was 45 at this oh, time. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, so, like, cause I was like, he looks like a kind of, like, a, a, you know, like a granddad who's dyed the beard and the hair back to being, like, a little too black. Um, But, yeah, he looked, like, it, he looked so old and so tired during this. I really could have felt for him. Um. As soon as they get back in the ring, Disco and Wright attack them with the trash can and a lid for a DQ. Uh, next up, we had one of uh, the better interview segments on the show. And this was uh, uh, Mean Gene with Buff and Judy Bagwell. And, like, obviously we have vague ideas as to where this goes, Lee. I don't know how, how where you are of where things go with Buff uh, going on uh, mm-hmm. throughout the rest of the year. But... In isolation, as a potential kind of babyface turn promo, what did you think of this? Oh, this was perfect. Like, yeah, I, I I know exactly where it goes, and I know when it happens, and everything, and all associated with that. But my God, Buff Bagwell should have been like a top top four babyface in the company after this. Like his return should have made him into a fucking made guy in this company. Yeah. Like, this and guy should have been opposing the NWO for the rest of his run. 
And it's such a shame as well that you could see in this promo the potential he had. Mm-hmm. And that after this injury he had suffered, like his body was just never the same. Yeah, like he he was never the worker he was before this injury. He yeah. was never that same guy after this. But that's not to say he could not have been like a player in this company. Yeah. Those people, oh, look, he, like, like they, th- this is a guy that was in WCW for the last eight years. Like he debuted in 1991. Like I mean, this, ho- this is very much a WCW guy. They should have made him a made guy. Yeah. The whole history of this business is about like making you making fans believe that immobile stiff guys are, are really good wrestlers. Mm-hmm. So like he wouldn't have been the, you know what I mean? Like compared to people WWE have tried to push on you before, um, like Kali and people like that. Like he could mm-hmm. definitely move a hell of a lot better than all of them. Uh, even after his injury, but yeah, it's it's just a shame because there was such potential here. Um, he, <laughs> this is great. So uh, Heenan arrives at the start of this segment to replace Larry for the rest of the show, and he has literally just gotten on the microphone and asks if Judy is Buff Bagwell's date. <laughs> <laughs> and then Tony, or no, it was it was, um, it was Gene who could hear him on the headset, yeah. corrected him and say, that's his mother. And like Brain immediately, well, I just got here. What do you want from me? <laughs> I, lo- I love that mean Gene is connected to them with the, the earpiece so he can hear everything they're saying. Something else I've been watching a lot of is like um, late 80s, early 90s, like the Heenan family in WWF. <sighs> Um, a lot of those promos that mm-hmm. Heenan was cutting and like god damn it there's very few more talented people that have ever been in this business oh like would you say he's the best manager of all time I think I think he is he's the best manager who didn't end up having a lengthy career on the internet of trying to get himself cancelled um, because I, I I also would have had a soft spot in, in its own way for Cornette mm. at the time I know a lot of people have a soft spot for like Paulie Dangerously, um, but to me, it's it's Heenan. Yeah, I think it's Heenan, Heenan and Heyman, and yeah. and obviously Cornette as well. But, um, but yeah, no, it's just Heenan. Heenan can get somebody over in thirty seconds. Yeah, because you believe, like you believe that he believes everything he's saying. Yeah, I'd also put on my Mount Rushmore there. I might put Sherry as well. Oh yeah. Um, I I would I would have. Yeah, Sherry, Sherry was always involved with top stars. Yeah, and as well had a thing where she would always elevate. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like her and Sean in particular, obviously. Like she brought another element to that mm-hmm. that character that made him just detestable. And uh, I also have to be that guy. Sherry was fucking gorgeous. <laughs> there he is now. The <laughs> girls are coming up soon again, Lee. Don't worry. <laughs> no, but she was. All right, okay, something for the dads there. You said it. Just because you were younger than me, fuck off. <laughs> um, right, what have we got? Yeah, so uh, Buff says, it's it's so good to just be here on stage in front of these fans and be able to say, I love Atlanta, huge pop. Great Babyface promo. Says he doesn't have, the, and this is the thing that Babyface him, so he's talking about how like, you know, he's laying on his back, doesn't even know if he's going to be able to walk again, things like that. And then the incredible, like, t- to make him even more of, like, a, a saccharine sweet baby face, he's like, um, 
he's there Jean asks him you know what do you have to say about this woman here behind you with her hand on her show on her shoulder is like obviously his mom had been there through the thick and the thin through the injury with him and he says he doesn't have words to describe how much he loves this lady right here uh he says he's thankful just to be eating and breathing and to be able to come out here and then there's a slight tease and a mention, you know, about talking about Scott Steiner and people thinking that he was going to come back with Scott and just saying that, look, Scott's got his life. I've got mine. So teasing that he, you know, he's had time to reflect and maybe going a different way if the day comes that he ever comes back. Um, Yeah, just a great promo here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we move from this into Scott Hall versus Goldberg. And this is the first taste of what we get tonight, Lee. But the atmosphere for Billy Big Time is fucking incredible. Okay, I have something to say on this. Were they yeah. piping in the Goldberg chant at this stage? Because I don't they, know. they sound very piped in. They might be. But it could be a network thing. Yeah, you see, that's the thing. It's harder to tell now because the sound is mixed so weird on these shows when they're mm-hmm. uh, when they're overdubbing. And I um, I can't remember like when it's like people start noticing that they were piping in the chants. Yeah, but I, I don't know. Like the sound, it's so consistent that it sounds yeah. fake. Yeah, I don't see anything in the Observer about it now, but this, again, like I said, might mm. be, they might have been doing it and just people hadn't twigged yet. Um, there's so much about tonight, we kind of said this earlier on, there's so much about tonight that is against booking convention, announcing a match on four days notice, giving it away on TV, doing it on a go-home show, and even here in this match, even, like, it, it, as far as I was concerned, it's booking 101 that if the big baby face is in the main event of the show, you do not have them in front of the live crowd until the match. You don't have them about that entranceway at all. Yeah. Now, they did different things, like they didn't give him the full Goldberg entrance during this match so that they could kind of, like, reinvigorate the pop for the main event mm-hmm. that seems to have panned out for them. Um, Goldberg, at, at the start of this match, he overpowers Scott twice. Uh, both get deafening reactions. Um none of Hall's offense is working Goldberg is either no selling or powering out of it Uh, at one point here quite entertaining Goldberg hits what I can only describe as a shoot Irish whip as a reversal that he hits so hard and so intense that just Scott Hall fell over yeah I have never seen somebody just fling an opponent at the ropes and for that somehow to be a move in and of itself like he just fucking throws Scott Hall and Scott Hall is not a small guy so that'll tell you how just how fired up Goldberg is for this and um, one thing that I did discover on listening to uh, the Broken School Sessions is Goldberg fucking hates Scott Hall like right. he despises him he thinks I really he, want to watch this Broken School Session now he he says he's one of the guys that in the back he just hated he was one of the guys he really wanted to like just plow through and like just like legit hurt almost like he doesn't outright say it but there's like major major problems he talks Gahal was just a horrible person now do you know what to me like knowing everything about like Goldberg from the uh, the years that followed where like he's obviously a big family man mm-hmm. uh, now and he's a guy who has come in uh, 10 months in after being in pro sports 
And I can imagine a guy with the pro-athlete mindset coming into a, for want of a better term, party atmosphere. Mm-hmm. There are probably a lot of guys who rub him up the wrong way. The way the wrestling business is different to pro football. And I can imagine that if that's your mindset, that Scott Hall will be one that would particularly get on your nerves, even if he did nothing directly to you. Yeah, that's the way, like, Hall treated people. And, like, Hall is very much one of those, you either love him or you hate him, there is really no in-between with people. Yeah. And I can totally see why somebody, like you say, like Goldberg, just would not click with Scott Hall at all. And seems to be a guy who, like, now seems to have made his peace with a lot of people and mm-hmm. and seems to be on the straight and narrow. And people find him much more pleasant um, and things like that. Kind of like his tag team partner, Kevin Nash, as well, that people now look as, like, a sage, woke hero. Because um, <laughs> that's what he is. But, yeah, we should remember that, like, at the time, these guys were massive arseholes. <laughs> yeah, like, Nash, Nash outright says it in the Nitro book. Yeah, and, we and we like we they say like they went to WCW as you know when they were before in WWF and they were like we did the starving artist thing and then we went to WWF became big stars and we basically just said right we're going to WCW for the money we don't care yeah and like something that um I always feel like I <laughs> I need to point out to people you know when you learn more and more about wrestlers when you start reading the books and hearing about the behind the scenes thing is like you really need to set your expectations that like everybody involved in pro wrestling to some degree or another either is an arsehole or has mm-hmm. treated somebody like they're an arsehole uh, in the past there are no angels in the business of professional wrestling apart from Kevin Owens and Daniel Bryan um, oh yeah they're like the, the, the only two good people like yeah. some somebody that I know we've talked like we've talked about Finley that yeah. you know he's held up as this great wrestler, yeah. And then you have like William Regal these days is held up as oh he's just sage and oh she's what a great guy and blah blah blah. Like have you read William Regal's book? Uh, no, I, I think it's the second time we've talked about this on recent podcasts, and I really it's one of those ones that's been on the list for I don't know how long, but I need to get around to it eventually. If you don't have it, I'll give it to you. But like. <laughs> That guy was a mess and he was a dickhead. Yeah. Like, he really was an arsehole. And nobody mm. talks about it anymore because he's office and people, you know, know which side of their bread is buttered on, shall we say? Yeah. So all that kind of gets swept under the rug. Yeah. Well, you know, and like the, the, that, that, that's fair enough. There is that part of it as well. But, like, you can still talk about how around his time these people were not good people. Uh, yeah, no, for sure. Um, we have... Uh, I felt in this match, Lee, as well, like, you know, we had the Irish whip uh, reversal, so hard hole went down, but I felt like these two were on completely different pages mm-hmm. during this match. It felt like... I know Goldberg isn't the, the sound uh, ring technician that you'd hope, but, like, he's still having passable matches with most people, but this just felt awkward. Yeah, no, the, these two do not have any chemistry at all, Judge Hernandez. And I think that goes back to the fact that they probably just outright didn't like each other. Yeah, for sure. That's exactly now that you. Now that you've that's told what I mean. It, it adds to it. Like I only learned that after watching the match, and I had, like in my notes I say like it's not a good match. It it really mm-hmm. isn't. Like this isn't the match you'd want to build up to a huge like main event. Um, after a while Hall motions for the B team to come out as they come out they're all laid out by DDP and Malone 
Scott guillotines Goldberg on the ropes, attempts the outsider edge. Goldberg tosses him halfway across the ring, which is great. Mm-hmm. And at this point is the start of superstar Bobby Heenan. Um, he's just putting over Goldberg huge with the throwing him halfway across the ring. Uh, hits a spear, hits the jackhammer for 107-0. Brain shouts, the man is knocking at your door, Hogan. And it's just like, I'm starting to get hyped just thinking yeah. about it now. Um, and I then love there's that. a sign saying, go on, yeah. I was going to say, I love, like, at the end, like, um, as he's setting up for the jackhammer, I think it's Tanae, he says, I smell, I smell uh, 107. And Tony goes, I smell jackhammer. And somebody, uh, it's not Heenan, I think it's... Um, Tanae again says, I smell Hogan. And Bobby just quick as a light goes, only for next one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a really good line. And really I was just good. like, you know what, that's a lovely little like interplay between all three of them. The, this next segment, uh, so after yeah, there's a sign saying the Titanic sank when it hit Goldberg, which got a big pop out mm-hmm. of me. Then the next segment, this is fucking hilarious. The Nitro girls are back and they're grinding and hanging off the girders at the commentary table, which is brilliant because Heenan is absolutely loving it. Yeah. He he is reveling in it, probably trying to pass his phone number to them. But the <laughs> other two fucking nerds <laughs> that are just trying to sit there and keep their hands to themselves and they're just like, they're so awkward. Yeah, they can't handle it. Yeah, I just did. Uh, he- Heenan plays into it and those two are just like nope can't look can't look <laughs> yeah yeah um, next up we had Hoovy versus Psychosis and this was one of their better matches I thought uh, it was quick as a hiccup and I think it was exactly what you needed at this point in the show to try and liven people up uh, bit of fast paced action to start Hoovy hit some lovely chops here mm-hmm. um, and a real whip quick head scissors um, Hoovy nearly dies on a tope uh at which Brain just screams, why? Why, why? why would you do that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he says a line about how he can't understand why somebody would be so desperate to win a match that they'd nearly die like that. Uh, Hoovy gets slingshotted to the outside of the ring, which I thought was a cool spot. And then Sikosis hits a diving senton off the top rope to the floor, at which point I screamed, why? Yeah, I, I thought that was worse than anything that yeah. Hoovy did. I was just like, why would you do that to yourself? Ugh. Uh, back inside the ring, Hoovy Driver and a 450 as the flock start wandering out uh, I tell you for what, the I, win. I love that the flock attack Hoovy and uh, Sikosis as the match ends. And the camera just cuts away to Goldberg. Yeah. Because <laughs> the flock, nobody yeah. cared. Yeah, and speaking of uh, the flock, it is a clip of Goldberg reading, beating Raven in his next milestone. They talk about how WCW have basically a house show coming up in LA. And if you tune into WCWWrestling.com, you can listen to the play-by-play on this house show. How exciting. And I'm starting to wonder if that's what the story was with that Phantom Boston Massacre Yeah, show. I'm assuming that's what the same deal was, was like internet audio. Yeah, um, that they've they've now actually explained this, that it's just uh, mm. commentary audio on a house show. The LA Melee 98. Yeah. I, I like the name. I'll give them that. Uh, but um, yeah, no, it feels, feels very 1998, doesn't it? Yeah. Speaking of very 1998 and very WCW, there's a hype and a video package for the tag match at the Bash. And I was incensed during this, Lee. And can you guess why? Because Michael Buffer is there as the fucking MC. <laughs> what the fuck is he doing there? I know. I had to... Uh, like I say, literally, as you said, I knew you were going to be annoyed at the same thing. Why did they pay him to go do a fucking press conference? Well, sorry, 
a fake press conference and they're paying that man multiple thousands of pounds to be there. Lee, a fake press conference. They paid him multiple thousands of dollars to be there. And even though it's been absolutely weeks of, of seeing video packages and references to this press conference, this is the first time that we even saw he was there. <laughs> you know, if you're going to pay that money, you want to show off that Buffer was there. This is fucking horrendous. Listen, there's only one Buffer I want on this show now going forward. Oh, ain't that the truth, brother. Oh, my... I couldn't... I was... I was pacing in the mm-hmm. den. Oh... It's just I I shouldn't be this angry. I shouldn't. Like I should know. I've read the book. I know that fucking WCW wasted money left, right, and center. But it still got me, and I'm ashamed of it. Mm-hmm. Um. Next up, we had Duggan versus Giant. Uh, as Giant is getting into the ring with his ponytail, um, Duggan kicks the ropes into Giant's balls and starts throwing hands at him before Giant reverses whip. I thought this five seconds of Duggan was the best Duggan has been when we've seen him that's faint praise isn't it yeah oh it is damning with faint praise uh giant reverses a whip then hits a big boot and hits the moves that i can only describe as corner arses um (laughs) i believe they're hip attacks corner arses um complete with and just an obscene pelvic thrust before he attempts the last one which he misses do do you Um, think he's gonna do that same move on the big show show uh, well, we're going to find out. <laughs> and Lee, if you, if you try to put over Disco in this show, I might do a bonus episode where we have to watch the entire season of The Big Show. I have no problem watching The Big Show show. Because I will watch <laughs> The Big Show show with Connor, who's seven and, you know, that's the kind of age it's aimed at. But I will gladly yeah. take notes on every episode of The Big Show show, which I will continue to call The Big Show show because that is <laughs> just a phenomenal name. Right. Thunder Buddies, you've heard it. We're going to have to hold lead to that one. Um, Season one, obviously. Good lord. Uh, giant giant misses an elbow drop. Duggan takes him off his feet uh, with a three-point clothesline. Uh, goes for the knee drop and a really awkward reversal where Giant just like sticks up his fist in the air. <laughs> and uh, Duggan dives onto it. Uh, choke slam win um, short and sweet and because it was so short and sweet it was maybe the best effort of both men involved here uh, Giant on the mic and runs down Kevin Green the football player because you forget he's that Malone and Rodzilla aren't the only sports stars appearing at the bash um, he says he has a choke slam here waiting for him Ke- Kevin Green appears then in his casual beach attire <laughs> getting ready for the bash his chino uh, shorts and his golf t-shirt and I will say, right, he ducks Giant and clotheslines him out of the ring. And in that moment, he may have looked more coordinated than the other sports stars we've seen so far. But I still have no interest in seeing him wrestle. Oh, yeah. Kev- Kevin Green is, like, without a doubt, the best crossover star they had. Yeah. It's just they never really had him consistently. Yeah. I think for they had sure. him, like, once a year, every year for, like, three or four years. Yeah. <laughs> what an attraction. Um... Next up, we had Jim Neidhart versus DDP with Carl Malone in this corner. Um, Malone, again, eating up this uh, this Georgia Dome crowd. Has a lot of swagger coming out. He's definitely, he's one of those guys where I can imagine, like, if I was in that role, I'd be drinking it in as well. Because, like, being a fan and getting to be involved in something so big and being in this building on mm. this night must feel pretty special. Um, 
It's a very quick match again. Nightheart dominates early doors, but DDP overcomes his efforts, hits a diamond cutter, and it's over. I tell you what, I did like that they kind of flew through these couple of matches, like from Hoovy, Hoovy Psychosis, Hacksaw Giant, um, Anvil DDP, and then the next match, they all kind of clip by fairly quickly, and they don't like oversight their welcome. No, I'd agree with that. That's for sure. Um, we have. Go on, yeah. Sorry. I was just going to say, sorry, as as we're recording the show, I'm watching Halloween Havoc 91 in the background, and I just got to the awesome Rick Rude reveal as the Halloween Phantom. <laughs> You've been having a whale of a time with that in the background. Uh, I, I'm, this, this show is so fucking good. Like, it's awful, but it's really good. <laughs> like, I'm just having so much fun watching this as we talk about this, you know, whatever this Nitro show is. Uh, you got to get yourself through it somehow, that's for sure. Uh, Goldberg then beating Conan for 100 uh, is our next little video clip. Then we have Sting and Luger versus Kidman and Sick Boy. And boy howdy, I'm thankful I didn't take my toilet break during this because I would have missed <laughs> the next couple of segments. This did not wait around for long. Uh, the Wolfpack come out. Kev is here with his bandana tied around him. Uh, he's on the mic they only get going they, so they do their little catchphrases the match gets going with Kidman and Sick Boy um, Sting and Luger run absolutely wild at the start uh, Sick Boy taps to the torture rack it must have been like 30 seconds was it? oh yeah start to finish it was literally like a couple of seconds um, and you know what's fascinating to me this is like a huge show of the year like the biggest Nitro they've probably ever had yeah, and the Wolfpack only come out like at the close of the second hour or third hour. Yeah, they're in like the death spot before the main event. Like that's fascinating to me because politics has to have played a part in that. Yeah, like surely you'd have like Sting or Nash or Conan, somebody peppered early on in the show to keep the crowd up, but instead yeah. they have all four come out for this thirty-second match, and that's it. They're done. Yeah, it's it's really weird. Uh, the one highlight I have of this is that Sting's Wolfpack gear is cool. It's not. <laughs> it's super cool. It's not. <laughs> I don't like the face paint at all, but uh, for 1998, like when Power Rangers would have still been at its height, the, the kind of chrome effect red and black is probably like very of the time. Maybe. I still hate it. <laughs> You're an OG, man. I, I respect that. Um, we have a clip of Goldberg beating Scott Hall earlier. And then, holy hell, Lee, it's time. Main event, World Heavyweight Championship, Goldberg versus Hogan. And as soon as I realized it was the main event, Lee, it's 22 years later, and I was excited. Oh, yeah, I'm hyped. So- Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I'm ready. By golly, we're all ready. The fans are ready. Millions of homes all over the world are ready. This is what we've been waiting for, Tony. This is it, Mike Kinney. And think of the road for Goldberg to get here. It's been an incredible run, hasn't it? It all started on September 22nd of 1997. So we're talking about this list of accomplishments in less than a 10-month period. Absolutely phenomenal. Never before in the history of this great sport has that ever happened. Like I said earlier... There's never been a man to win the world's championship who was undefeated, let alone with 107 victories. And they weren't Ham and Eggers. No, Scott they were. Hall, they were the big, big 
bandstand, show their signs, and we are walking with Goldberg and security from Goldberg's own locker room area, following with him all the way to the ring. As you look live back in the locker room area here at the Georgia Dome, surrounding Goldberg, some of Atlanta's finest, Doug Dillinger as well with WCW security, and here they come. What's going through his mind right now? I've never been in that situation, going for a world championship, let alone with that list of victories this man has in his backyard, hometown, in front of everybody he played for, played with. What an evening, what drama right now. Long walk for Goldberg, but it's been a long wait since he arrived at the Georgia Dome earlier in the day. So what's another long walk for Goldberg? He's almost out here now. Well, Hogan may be taking a long walk too. That real long walk back to the dressing room, empty-handed. But could the unblemished mark, the incredible series of wins by Goldberg come to a crashing end here tonight? And you know, Tony, if Hogan is to defeat this man, you know what the NWO is going to be like then with Hogan and Bischoff in charge. There he is. And here comes the eruption. Bigger than before. Hogan. This is his moment. Goldberg and think about what Goldberg represents. A virtual unknown in this sport who walked into WCW and he represents every wrestler who wanted just to walk in here and become a champ. That's what he represents as he makes his way to the ring. Hogan's mentality going to be at Bash of the Beach if he's not heavyweight champion of the world, along with Rodman. Oh, a lot of different ways this could go, my friend. A lot of different things could happen, Brain, you're exactly right. But what will happen? Well, fans, you're not going to have to wait much longer. When we come back, the world champ, Hollywood Hogan, will come out, and Goldberg and Hogan will battle for the world title next. Go get the groceries. Like, they start, they, they build it up and say, right, this is it. Goldberg's music hits. And then nothing happens. And it builds and it builds until eventually you see Goldberg backstage. And the walk, like, yeah. I, 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 like I know what happens. And I'm sitting there watching the walk going, oh, fuck, I can't wait for this. Like, yeah. him walking in the backstage area, like, built the anticipation for me absolutely deafening chance by the time he gets out like this is the loudest i've ever heard this chant um for goldberg and heenan again absolutely the star of the show on commentary mm-hmm. screaming do it for me do it for the yeah. fans get rid of hogan <laughs> he's so happy that it's finally time uh headlocks early on in this match after uh after Hogan is out and we start things off Goldberg hits a shoulder barge and the shoulder barge by itself gets one of the biggest pops Mm -hmm. on the shows Uh, Tony describes it I'm just going to say one thing I miss about it not being the original broadcasts 
like I know I've I've mentioned Raven's music and all that before, but like I wish we had like Hogan's um, actual music that you used on the night because I I, th- I think you're missing just just that little bit like you're missing Hogan talking trash to the camera as he comes out, like you're missing that kind of genuine sound that the crowd make. It's it just I wish they had it like paid up for just to keep that that moment. Yeah, ah, oh, it, it would have been, but sure, look, what can you do? Mm-hmm. Um, we live in the era of the network, and I'm not arsed uh, tracking down original <laughs> tapes of this. Um, but hey, so yeah, um, Tony pimps this as the, the biggest crowd to ever witness televised wrestling on cable TV, which seems like a lot of caveats in that sentence. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brain says, if Hogan wins, we'll never hear the end of it. It will destroy the sport. Um. Lee, would you say this is the most over-test of strength spot in wrestling history? My God, yes. And Hogan, <laughs> Hogan to his credit, and I know we gave him a lot of credit earlier on, like, to his credit, he puts over this knuckle-lock like it's fucking debt. Yeah. And it's it's one of the iconic, like, images from this match, that when you think of this match in your head, you think of Hogan on his knees mm-hmm. in the knuckle-lock. Um, so... Uh, commentators put over how Hogan is the biggest name in the history of the sport. They're big enough, like, what a big deal this would be for Goldberg to win. Uh, Goldberg has a chance to use Hogan's weight belt here, but, like, in the very much... Uh, it reminded me of years later, the, the Sami Zayn-Adrian mm-hmm. Devil match. He had the chance to take it a away, shortcut, yeah. and he threw it away because he's the hero. Um, Hogan gets it back on he's very frustrated clearly takes the fight to the outside smashes Goldberg with a chair three times I think Uh, hits two straight leg drops of doom Hennig is here but DDP and Malone are out behind him Malone hits the diamond cutter on him and then we start to head towards the end Mm -hmm. as soon as Goldberg hits the spear Bobby Heenan nearly has heart failure okay so do you have everything that Bobby Heenan says from here on because no, I do because okay, I took right, note okay. of it because okay obviously Goldberg is the star at the moment but Bobby Heenan yeah. on commentary is fucking magnificent it's one of the iconic calls in history mm-hmm. so as it's all playing out in the, in the ring and Goldberg hits the spear and then sets up for the jackhammer and hits the jackhammer for the win so this is is Bobby Heenan's full on call from from the from the moment the spirit is here so he just yeah. jumps in with part one now finish him off finish him off this is it this is it your career is on the line here do it do it this place will erupt when he picks him up oh thank you thank you we've got a new heavyweight champion of the world the first undefeated man in the history of this sport to ever win the world championship and I have a record of 107 108 who cares it's got a zero on the other side we've got a new champion listen to this yeah it was so oh my god it's such a like I my hair was standing on mm-hmm. end when he hits this jackhammer the roof came off the building at the three count 10 months into his career 31 years old mm-hmm. Tony says Bill Goldberg is on the top of the wrestling world you have the iconic call from Heenan and Tony nicely bookending it by saying this is the man who will lead pro wrestling Mm. into the next millennium this is 
one of the best endings to a televised wrestling yeah. TV show in history. And I will fight any man on that. I think the word gets thrown around way too much, which is iconic. This is an iconic moment in American wrestling history. It was almost worth all the shite in the middle of this show to get to it. Uh, honestly, it was. Because, yeah. like, we we jumped in with Goldberg pretty much at the start. Like, he, he just started becoming a thing when Nitro began. Or when uh, Thunder began. And, like, we've kind of lived through his basic, his rise from a fucking a 50-50 match with Mongo. Like, less than six months ago to this. And... To see it all culminate, and there's a great spot on if you do watch it, the, the Broken School sessions where um, Austin puts the, the match on the screen, and he in particular picks out the finish. And as Goldberg is picking up Hogan and placing him in, getting ready for the jackhammer, Austin's like, "Look at this shot!" And you see everyone in the back as soon as he picks him up, the fans in the background are up and standing. And Austin says, "Look at that! That's what that that's what it's all about." Mm. And it's so right. Like, it's just... Like, I don't think WCW peaks any higher than this. Like, this is it. Like, this is the absolute peak. And from here on out, it's downhill, which is which is awful to say for us, I know. But this is so special. And the fact that they couldn't capitalise, like, this is where everything starts to go wrong. Yeah. And on that, like we've talked about the upside of all this, uh, I'll go back to Deathly WCW for a minute here. Mm-hmm. Um, in their lesson not learned part, uh, they talk about the sheer amount of money WCW lost in rushing Goldberg Hogan to free television cannot be understated, but it hasn't stopped anyone from hotshotting various angles and matches in an effort to pop what is essentially a worthless one week rating. And this is true. Pro wrestling would not learn from this moment, and it happened multiple times mm-hmm. in in years later. The one that they, they bring up here, while it had nowhere near the ramifications of the Goldberg win, the unmasking of Kane in 2003 comes to mind of a perfect example of something that could have been built up for months for a pay-per-view big money match. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Mexico, matches where a competitor is forced to show his face upon being defeated have drawn money for decades. Of course, these are generally done with a proper build. Instead, one week on Raw, it was just casually announced that Kane would be battling Triple H for the title. If he lost, he'd lose his mask. Um, I want to mention as well from Death of WCW, they say, this is something we referred to earlier. Hogan had one major demand for this match, that when the time was right to beat Goldberg, he would be the guy to do it. Because he agreed to drop the belt with a clean pinfall loss in the first place, there weren't any problems with this scenario. He also, as usual, had a few diabolical tricks up his sleeve to be revealed over the next several months. Um, yeah, it, it was kind of like he, he did it ulterior motives aplenty because it is Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. But... On the night, given that this was a decision that was made, it couldn't have gone any better in the moment. Um, like you said, a truly iconic and historic moment. And it still gives me chills to this day. Absolutely love that main event and that moment. Um, it's not going to be your, your technical wrestling, uh, your, your favourite technical match of the year. But in terms of like raw emotion and feeling like you're watching something special and that big fight feel, there's nothing like it. Like it, it's something that WWE have overdone like to death at this stage, but it's a moment. Yeah. Like that, that's a legit moment in wrestling history. Like forget the match. Like the match doesn't matter. It, it only kicks in when he hits that spear. That's when it becomes important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like no, nobody remembers that Hogan hit three leg drops consecutively. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That doesn't matter. It's all from the spear on. That's the yeah. only thing that matters in this match. 
those couple of seconds after that. Lee, I feel like I know the answer to at least the first part of this, but to wrap up the programme for the first time on Nitro, who are your winners and losers? Goldberg. It, it is the yeah. only winner on this show because never has a guy been elevated as quickly and as deservedly and been such, so, like, so over. Like, that arena, like, it's a cliche to say the roof came off, but it did. And... I'm so happy we actually sat down to talk about it and watch it. But I'm also sad. And yeah. I think ultimately the biggest loser is us because they gave it away on TV. Yeah. And I would say long term the, the, the ultimate loser is WCW. Yeah. Oh, well, that, that that's what I mean. Like it, yeah. Giving the match away on TV is just such such a bad long term move. It does. Uh, mm. So many things have would go wrong after this that they just never recovered yeah um i'll go with um our finish counter brought to you by ludwig borga uh on this show we had 12 matches believe it or not eight clean finishes two dq count outs uh, one interference leading to a finish and one non-finish before we wrap up lee i want to give one more quote from dave Meltzer in the wrestling observer uh from that week an interesting amount of foresight here but this is a man who knows the business like I know the back of my hand he said so will Goldberg be WCW's answer to Steve Austin or be this generation's version of Hogan or Flair as the unquestioned historical superstars of the era or will he be this year's answer to Sting or Sid or Luger or Helwig the guys who were supposed to be the next big thing but when put in the position their flaws became too evident and it just never worked he's still green as a worker but in his case that doesn't seem to matter He's unproven as a talker, but that hasn't stopped him from getting the most incredible crowd reaction of any wrestler of modern times aside from Antonio Inoki. Mm. This was not something built up with a lot of planning. He had no set-up challengers on the horizon or big money matches on the table, something that can't be said for Hogan, who gave the belt away. And his win changes the structure of the company. Make no mistake about this, and if there's one thing evident from the events of Monday night, WCW is now Goldberg's company, not Hogan's or anyone else's, no matter what the brass of TBS may think. It's one of those things that just happened, and now all factions will be trying to recruit Goldberg for their internal power struggles. When the story is written years from now, people will be shocked that Goldberg's first world title win wasn't something planned in advance and came simply because a company was desperate after losing the television ratings the week before. But that wasn't all that different from how Luthez ended up with his first uh, title the first time either. July 6, 1998 could be a historical night for pro wrestling, ushering in the first big match of one of the most charismatic figures the game has ever seen. Or it could have been one humongous pop for a moment, a moment that means nothing in the long run. And like that is Jesus, a that, scary that, yeah, amount. That's so accurate for what it ended up being. Like it, yeah, <sighs> yeah. He, he's so right. Like he just is. He's just so spot on. Like that. The fact that he could see, like the fact that he put that in writing. And was able to say, this is what it could end up being. Yeah. People forget with internet troll era Dave Meltzer that this guy knew the business better than Mm -hmm. anybody. And was the best reporter in the game and is still the best reporter in the history of the business. Um, But hey, like, uh, you know, 
it, just incredible stuff. And again, we, we've quoted from different things in this show. So I would urge people who are kind of uh, interested in, in learning more about the circumstances around this to check out that Broken Skull Sessions that, uh, that Lee talked about, to uh, check out that Observer newsletter from the start of July 1998, to read... Honestly, we've put it over so many times in mm-hmm. the show. I love Death of WCW. It's one of my favorite wrestling books. Uh, Brian Alvarez, already Reynolds. And as Lee has mentioned multiple times in the show, the Nitro book as well. Um, it's a fascinating company and, and nothing that charts the history of this company is ever dull. Um, so there are no bad choices where you want to start on it. Um, yeah. So Lee, how did you find your first uh, dalliance with Nitro on the program? A lot more up and down than I was expecting. Yeah. But it's hard like it's hard to be down on the show when it ends so spectacularly. Say that again, sorry. I said it's hard to be down on the show when it ends so spectacularly because like yeah. it's such a high and it it's such a buzz. Like even talking about it, I'm like it it's just such like I said, it's an iconic moment. And it's something yeah. that you'll never forget seeing. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, we had a blast making this show mm-hmm. we hope you had a blast listening to it we'll be back next week with our regularly scheduled Thunder the go home show for Bash at the Beach uh, we hope you're all well out there uh, at WCW Thunder Pod is where you want to follow us um, you'll find links there to your podcast providers of preference for all our shows as they get posted and all bonus shows like this as well all appearing on the one stream individually I'm at the day to Dave uh, Lee is at Malone underscore 713. Be sure to check out Pro Wrestling Only, the podcast network that homes us, um, where you'll find many, many fine podcasts that will occupy your time and entertain you in equal measure. Um, until next week, we have normally been Days of Thunder, but for <laughs> this week, we are Knights of Nitro, and we will see you very soon.